You're listening to the Sprues and Brews podcast, your weekly podcast looking at all things Warhammer. Hello and welcome to episode 210 of the Sprues and Brews podcast. My name is Dave and I'm joined once again by Matt. Hello. Jay. Hello. And Andy. Good evening, chaps. Welcome back, gents. It's our second podcast of 2023 already. Yeah, it's uh, you, you wait ages for a podcast and a couple of come along at once, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And we've got an absolute corker of an episode this week because we have a bit of an exclusive. Um, we've got not one, but two main segments this week. Our first one is going to be with Duncan Rhodes a.k.a. Duncan Rhodes Painting Academy, and Peter Buxton is also returning from Transatlantis Games to talk about something super exclusive um, that you're going to be hearing about right here. So uh, we're going to be talking um, to those guys later on in the show. Uh, Matt, that's not the only guest we've got on this week's show, though. It's not, no. We've got Patrick Murphy from Cubicle 7 on to talk about Imperium Maledictum, their latest Warhammer 40,000 role-playing game. So that'll be super exciting, too. Yeah, so uh, an absolute ace podcast this will be. And um, before we get stuck into all of that content, though, uh, we need to talk about what we've been doing since the last podcast, what we've been doing in the hobby just recently. So who do we pick on first? Let's pick on you first, Jay. What what have you been up to in the hobby? Uh, when was the last hobby update? Mind you, to be fair, it, it's just painting dwarfs regardless of when the last hobby update <laughs> was, because that's all I've been painting. A thousand points of Leagues of Votan. Uh, I'm currently painting them right now, the last squad of warriors um so i've almost got my um 50 power level army ready now um i think what i've been painting in between podcasts are some thunderkin a brock here iron master and his retinue some hearthkin pioneers uh a unit of hearthkin warriors that i'm working on at the moment a carl and there was one other thing but i can't think what it was land fortress Land Fortress, no, that was painted already. There was something else, but I can't think what it was. Your objectives? I built some objectives, some cool sort of crusade objectives, yeah, like to represent the different resources that the, the Votan are looking for in their crusade games. Uh, I just really can't wait to play with them now. Yeah, well, we should have actually had a game, but um, we ended up running out of time, didn't we? So, unfortunately, you, you could be heading to the Crusade event with no practice, Jay. <laughs> you'll will. be fine. You'll be fine. The, the nails anyway, aren't they, Votan? I'm sure, I'm sure you're just pointing and click. Apparently, really. this is the case. <laughs> <laughs> no, they look really, really cool. You've done a really, really good job on them. Yeah, I've enjoyed painting them. And the, the, I mean, I, I, these will be finished this week, so it'll be something new on the next hobby update. Yeah, excellent. Uh, Andy, uh, what have you been up to in the hobby uh, just recently? Uh, recently, so I decided to dabble with some non-Games Workshop stuff for Marvel Crisis Protocol. Um, so, yeah, so I painted up the Incredible Hulk. Um, he was really nice. I, I I just wanted to paint up a miniature from um, from the game just to get a feel for the plastics because, um, obviously, like, I've spent the last 20 odd years building and painting games workshop plastic so i'm not you know i'm not as familiar or as confident with other company uh miniatures so i bought the hulk and painted him up which was really good fun um and then i've been painting some chaos legionnaires for Warcry. i've got an event up at warhammer world on i think it's the 18th of march 
Um, so I want to get them done for that event, which I should easily be able to do. Mm. Um, and then apart from that, I think that's... Oh, I've been painting some more Death Guard. Um, I've been painting up some more Poxwalkers. Um, don't get me wrong, I love the Poxwalkers, but boy, oh boy, there's a lot of detail on those models. <laughs> oh, I found some um, Death Guard models for you. Uh, Death Guard model for you, Andy. Uh, what was it, Dave? It was a Tallyman. There you go. I've got a Tallyman for you that I found <laughs> in a Bix box. Oh, nice. Just random bit of chaos in one of your Bix boxes. I don't know what it's doing in there. I'm, I was disgusted when I saw it. I think Dave planted it first. <laughs> um but yeah that, that's that's about it so far um yeah just just trying to crack on with a lot of stuff in the backlog and yeah get the death god built and painted for for an event or events later on in the year so excellent i really like your incredible hulk um between you and and matt painting all this marvel stuff i absolutely need to get on board with that sooner rather than later um, that leads us to to yourself, Matt. What what have you been up to in the hobby recently? Well, it's been it's been a busy January so far. So I've been building some beasts of chaos because you know they've got a new book on the horizon. I want to get a an army together so we can play some games with them. But most of my time in January has been taken up painting uh, the War Master himself, Horus Ascended. That Games Workshop very kindly sent us a uh, a preview copy of. And oh, guys, what a model! Is is something special. It's so so. Cool. I really enjoyed painting the original Horus. Uh, I think I enjoyed painting this one even more. It's so cool. Uh, pro tip though, leave like everything in sub assemblies because it's going to be really hard to get your brushing otherwise. Mm. Yeah, you've done an absolutely fantastic job on this model. Is he much bigger than the uh, the original Horus Primark <laughs> model? So he's he's a bit chunkier than Horus. Yeah, he, he's um. He's obviously been working out at the gym. He's all juiced up with some demon juju. Um, <laughs> he, the, the two models are, are the same height, but obviously the original Horus is stood on a big like piece of like fallen um, like staircase and an eagle and stuff, which which brings him up, you know, a little bit from the floor. If they were both standing on the same surface, uh, Horus ascended would be notably bigger. I'm glad he's not he's, he's he's come off that staircase. I think that was my least favourite part of that original model. Really? That was my favourite part of that model. You know what I'd like to see? Horace ascended on that staircase. Oh there you go. <laughs> yeah, across the streams. Um and I've also uh, on the, the painting stream on Sunday, which we return to. So if you tune in seven PM till nine PM UK time on Twitch or uh YouTube, you can watch us paint stuff live. And I was working on the um uh, ascended um ascended exalted hero of chaos uh, and he was really fun to paint as well so over the next few weeks on there i'll be painting up some uh slaves to darkness Ooh, excellent all very chaosy matt as as it should be with you mm. <laughs> um i have not been painting chaos so uh, my painting desk has been full of cadians um i we were very lucky enough to receive uh some special sort of drops from games workshop and um, so i've been painting ursula creed uh, i've been painting the new rogal dawn uh, and i also have um built and at the time of recording not yet painted but i've got the lord solar himself and i've also got a heavy weapons team as well which have decided to build heavy bolters um 
we're talking about the models that I've, I, I have painted. Um, Ursula Creed is such a lovely model. Like she she was cool in like the artwork, but I think she's even better in person. Uh, and I'm really happy with how she's she's turned out. Um, but um, the Rogel Dawn, that thing is epic. Um, I I think it's been the most enjoyable build and painting that I've I've done ever in Warhammer. Um, you got to have a, a pick up and play with this, Jay. Uh, what did you think of it? Yeah, I do really like the look of this um, Rogaldon. I'd like to see some more tanks done in that style because it, it does look quite different from a uh, Lehman Russ. Yes, it does. Yeah, the whole sort of design of it is is different and it's um, notably a little bit bigger as well and absolutely crammed full of guns. Um, but really yeah, enjoyed that. It's like that. an orc uh, battle wagon with the amount of guns <laughs> it's got on it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you can check out Spruce and Brews for, for sort of videos of my article on on the painting and unboxing of those, but that's been an absolute treat, and uh, I can't wait to to get the rest of the range um, finished, especially the Lord Solar. Um, I have uh, also on on the painting stream, I finished off my um, casket. Casket is pronounced caskins, isn't it? Um, they're, they're now done. Um, I've just got a few infantry squads, and I, I should then have 50 power level to to get me started um, playing and um, completely painted. So um, really loving these new models. Um, I just can't wait to get some games in, like like yourself, Jay, with your Votan. Yeah, um, well, well, we 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 start in your um, your Crusade. We had a lot of people asking super, when, the, when the games are coming back to YouTube. Super soon, yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how all these armies perform uh, on on the tabletop. Should be exciting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Excellent stuff. Um, so yeah, we've all been quite busy. You know, it's a it's a brand new year. We're already getting stuck into the hobby. Um, but there's there's lots more on the horizon. Um, so why don't we take a slight pause and we'll come back with all the latest news. So what do we have in this week's news, Matt? So we've currently got a load of core cool stuff up for pre-order. For the Astra Militarum, and I know this piques your interest, Dave, doesn't it? Absolutely. You've, you've managed to have a little bit of a play with some of this stuff. So we've got the Codex on the way at 3250. A lot of people have already picked that up in the, the army set. What people won't have, though, is Lord Solar Leontus. Uh, he is £35, and he's riding a mechanical horse, and he looks glorious. Because in the grim darkness of the far future, what you want is a cape and a sword and a golden steed to, mm-hmm. to look glorious on the battlefield. So I will be picking this guy up and giving him a gas mask. Um, you, you've, you've picked up the kit. You've, you, you've fondled this kit, Dave. Is it a nice one? It's very nice. And you know what? It's a painter's dream as well, because the the, the way that they've, they've got the model is you've got the base, which you can happily paint separately. Then you've got the horse, which you can happily paint separately. And then the, 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 the commander himself is, you can paint him completely separate i know with sometimes with these like mounted models like the legs are like part of the horse's yeah. body absolutely not the case with this guy so he is he's going to be an absolute joy to paint and also he's bigger than i expected him to be but then that that makes me happy because he's like you know the the, the guard aren't going to have like a primark leading them so he he's absolutely the perfect stand-in for a primark awesome cool we've also got um lord castellan Ursula Creed. I know you said you really enjoyed painting this one. She's yeah. £27.50. She's got a really nice base as well. You enjoyed painting the base on that one, didn't you? I did, yeah. She's got like a guardsman helmet, lots of like rubble and stuff. Um, she also comes with um, a couple of different options. So she has the two head options, which I think they've advertised on Warcom. So she's got like a hood 
or you can have with a hood down. Um, but also she has like um, she's always got a sword, but in her other hand you can either build it with like um, she's got like a staff, like um, uh, I can't remember what you call it, something. like a scepter kind of thing, yeah. Or you can swap that for a, a nifty pair of binoculars, which is what I went for. Ooh, nice. <laughs> so you, you can't go wrong with a pair of binoculars. Uh, we've also got the new Cadian Shock Troops. Um, they are £30 and a really nice kit. Loads of options. Um, I'm tempted with the way guard work now to have a, a couple of Cadians maybe accompanying my death corps into battle. And if you've got some Cadians accompanying your death corps into battle, uh, you also want a Cadian command squad as well, which mm. uh, you were painting this the other week on the painting stream, weren't you? Really, really nice kit. Yeah, I've got those completely painted now. Um, they're a very, very nice kit. Like you say, lots of options. I was contemplating for ages how to build my commander. Uh, in the end, I went for a plasma pistol and a power sword. But you can give him a power fist. You can give him a chain sword. You can give him a million. Not a million. That's over-exaggerating slightly. Lots a million of, of heads. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, but he's, he's a very a very nice model. Um, and there's loads still left on the sprue, which... Um, games workshop have kindly made it all compatible so you can take bits and put them on your normal cadians to change the look of your squads but going back to the shot troops actually just the sergeant alone you can build in like three or four different styles just on the normal shot troop sprue so yeah it's an absolute <laughs> dream to build that's really cool uh they are 27.50 for the band squad which isn't bad i don't think either of those are a massive uplift over the, the previous kit which is good uh heavy weapon squad 30 pounds um these are probably the most similar to the old one, but obviously updated crew. Um, hopefully they are. My, the old uh, heavy weapon squads, I uh, built little tripods uh, mm. so I could use all the weapons. That's less of a thing now because these are just kind of independent heavy weapon squads, aren't they? Unless you just take a, yeah. a vanilla kind of infantry squad. Your Cadians, yeah. your Death Corps don't have them integrated into the squads anymore. No, not anymore. Um the big kind of centerpiece, I guess, of this 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 wave is the Rogue or Dawn Battle Tank. You've just been talking about it a little while ago. This is fifty five pounds, but it's a big old tank for that, isn't it? It is. It is a very chunky tank. And um, there'll be some comparison shots over on our, our website, but it is significantly bigger than the Lehman Ross. Um and uh like Jay said, it, it's it's a it's it's slightly curvier. It's it's a different design to the Lehman Ross, but it still looks good next to it. Yeah, you know what? I th- I think they'd look nice painted up as a catachin one. Mm-hmm, catachin's yes. kind of fallen up behind it, so I fancied yeah. it. I need those catachins updated. I might just have to bite the bullet and get the old catachin squad at some point. I um, <laughs> I definitely think I'm gonna do that, Matt. I think I'm gonna get the command squad, get the normal squad, and and I'm not gonna create a command squad, but I'll use the bits from that to create the the catachin squad of my dreams. Hopefully, we say I, I would get a command squad. I'm thinking like a kind of Vietnam slash predator style um catch and force would be it'd be cool with yeah you know, that'd be very valkyries cool. in place of helicopters and <laughs> yeah it'd be awesome wouldn't it and we've also got the ordnance battery as well this is two models for 32 pound 50 that's a little bit more than i thought they might be but again they're a really really cool kit and uh rounding out the stuff from the the launch box is the sentinel at 27 pound 50 so, so obviously if you want all that stuff if you can still get that um that uh Kadia stands box Definitely a good value over getting all the stuff separately. That always does tend to be the uh, the case on these. And then we've got a couple of repackagings as well. So the Bane Blade is now one big kit that contains all the options for every Super Heavy for the Astra Militarum. That is £100. 
And I'm sure with some clever magnet work, you can make a lot of these interchangeable as well. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool. Uh, we've also got the same done to the Lehman Rust as well. That is all now in one single box for £37.50, building any variety of Lehman Rust. And again, um, I think there are two different um, pieces that attach the actual kind of gun to the um, turret. So again, with some magnets, you could probably make at least a couple of, you know, variants from one box, mm. which, you know, helps for saving pennies, cost of living and all that. Uh, and then we've got a bit of a surprise release of the Primaris Psyker as well from uh, Blackstone Fortress. Um, I know because uh, we had some resin and metal ones, but this is a very nice kit, isn't it? I've been looking on eBay the past few weeks since I got hold of the the new guard book. I've been looking for for this lady on eBay, and she's going for ridiculous money. Um, so it, it's ace that they're releasing a separate, um, really good call. They did this with the Daedalus as well, or he's not called they that did, now, yeah. for the the Mechanicus. So um, yeah, I'm really pleased that he's getting an individual release. I suspect we'll see. We, we saw the, um, the the Traitor Commissar and Chaos Ogren as well come out. Um, mm. So I think a lot of those Blackstone Fortress models will get released separately. I never picked up the Amble, so I hope that gets a separate release as a you know unaffiliated monster that anyone can take. Maybe it's yeah. on Space Hawk. That'd be a good little thing for boarding action, wouldn't it? Yeah. But um, yeah, I want to pick up that. So some really really cool stuff for the Astra Militarum. Um, if I wasn't painting a bazillion things, I'd definitely be picking up some of them to add to my Deathcore Krieg. What I will have to kind of like pick up though are some of the new additions for Necromunda. So we have got the Corpse Harvesting Party up for pre-order. These are fairly grim. So <laughs> if, if if you don't know about Necromunda, um, food in the Underhive is let's let's kind of put the i guess the slightly sanitized look on it it's recycled food food is recycled um mostly recycled from people so um yeah which is a little bit grim but hey um basically um this this corpse harvesting part will go out into the underhive and find some dead bodies of which there's quite a lot they'll strip them for anything valuable and then take the corpses back to turn them into food and these guys you can hire to have um as part of your gang it's a it's a gang affiliation so basically you'll roll the chart and depending on what you get they may or may not come to your aid so that's pretty cool uh, we've also got a dual blister of rex spires and estus jet a couple of hanger on well, one's a hanger on one's a mercenary for for games of necromunda and ajax gorgoth lord of the fist who is a uh, Goliath house agent. Basically, if you've got a Goliath uh, gang, again, similar to the Horps, uh, the Corpse Guild, you can call on him and he, he'll look at your guild. And if they're a high rating, he might not bother. If you're kind of fairly kind of poorly done to low rating Goliath gang, he may come on down and help you out. So, yeah, we're kind of rounding up a lot of the missing releases for Necromunda. So hopefully... Um, we can't be too far off the second book for that. Now, there is something unexpected that is up for pre-order. And by the time this goes out, it's probably long sold out. But um, we were expecting the next um, Siege of Terror book on the horizon, uh, the end in the death. And a surprise Siege of Terror book snuck out of the gates. Mm. Garrow, Knight of the Grey is the next novella. They've done a couple of these now. And it tells the final hours of Garrow. Mm. So that's uh, that's exciting. 
and possibly spoilers. I don't know. Um, so, yeah, I, uh, I I managed to pick up the limited edition to add to the collection. I take it you'll be uh, downloading this on Audible be, as soon as you can, Jay. Yeah, I'll be listening to this one on Audible. It'll be interesting where this one's set in the timeline. Um, I can't quite figure out where it's set, so I'm looking forward to reading it. Garrow's a really interesting character as well, so... Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it should be fun, and hopefully in Feb we should get the end of the death, probably coinciding with the the Black Library event in Feb. Yeah. Staying on the theme of the heresy, though, um, we saw another named character come out for the Alpha Legion, Exodus, who is a um a, a named character that the the Alpha Legion could take. Crack Sniper with oh, possibly is it a named character. Yeah, he's a named character. That. Yeah, he's a named character, and he's um got possibly the biggest sniper rifle I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> he's an ace model he is isn't he yeah he's really really cool I'd, I'd i'd love to do an alpha legion army at some point uh along with all the other legions <laughs> uh but this model in particular is, is really really cool um he's got a cool some cool special rules as well where he can go on the battlefield pretty much anywhere on the battlefield as long as he's out of line of sight and then presumably snipe somebody. Uh, his sniper's got brutal two as well. Oh, nice. So yeah, this guy can like take out like terminators and all sorts. Um, yeah, he's he's pretty nice. So um, he's he got two different flavors of shots. He's got his rapid shot, which is 24 inch range, strength seven, AP two, assault three, sunder and pinning. And if he stays still, that becomes brutal two, which is amazing. Um, and you can also do an execution shot, which is 72 inch range, for instance, seven AP one sniper, sunder pinning, deadly aim, and again, deadly aim gives him brutal too. So he's a he's a pretty good guy. Um, those AP one shots for taking out terminators and stuff. Yeah. Uh, this guy should be able to deal with um important targets. So yeah, I mean, you know what? I might pick him up just to paint up because I fancy experiment. We were talking about this on the painting stream. Uh, a contrast over silver would be really nice for an Alpha Legion army. I feel. Yeah, I I had a go at that actually with the Terminator Sorcery you can get the Warhammer World exclusive. One. Oh yeah, uh, and yeah, I did like the results. So I might have to uh, paint them up. I, I think I'm going to end up with just like maybe maybe like main army being Sons of Horus, and then like one to two thousand point collections of all the various other legions. <laughs> because then when we do like we did a big uh, game, didn't we, over Christmas? I can bring down a kind of combined chaos force, and it looks cool on the battlefield, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. So yes, that's gonna be done. Um, now, now, Dave, you you were a little sad to hear that Commissar Yarrick may may be no longer in action. He may have fallen to to some kind of horrific stuff. But don't worry, don't worry. Even though he's no longer in the book, and he may be at large in the galaxy, we don't know. If you're a fan of either of the old classic Yarrick models, are you in luck because they're doing a made-to-order soon? I think the one most people are aware of is the kind of one with a massive power claw. He's kind of screaming. Mm -hmm. I think you possibly even got that model somewhere, Dave. Yeah, I've got him somewhere. But the one that's iconic for me is the old second edition model of for him with like a crab claw and like a skeleton on his gun and a back (laughs) banner because everything in second edition had bat banners um i think that's really really cool do you wonder if we might see some more like second edition era made toward us like over this year with it being like 10th edition and you know stuff like that potentially happening i, I i've told you guys before i'd love to see some of the classic second edition tyranny to come back to the made to order <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, it'd be silly not to, wouldn't they, to to play on that nostalgia factor and just bring the occasional model back for random. They um, stuff. yeah, they brought some Eldar farsers back. I remember um from I think they were second edition farsers. Um, so they have done it in the past. I think it'd be a cool thing. That'd be the cool thing. And if you don't want Yarrick, there's also uh, Creed, uh, Severina Rain, and some classic Hamasars as well, and Inquisitors. Uh, they are going to be on made to order soon. Normally, they've got a short window, and then you'll get them within. <coughs> you'll get them within normally like 180 days, but in my experience, it tends to be a lot quicker than that. Sometimes you'll even have them the following week. Yeah. Those those two Inquisitors, um, just to have them in the collection, are quite tempting. And also the um, Commissar that's kind of reading the Primer uh, and yelling. I really like that model as well. Do you think the Primer just says yell? It could do. Loudly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, moving into the Underhive. Um, I did the unboxing and review of the Beastmaster with Ripper Jacks. And I mentioned on there, wouldn't it be cool if for the other Beastmasters they had different poses? Because I mentioned that the the artwork in the book is different than the model. Well, today Warhammer Community revealed the Beastmaster with Millisaurs. And he is indeed kind of at the same kind of uh, as the artwork within the book with, again, some horrific new monsters reimagined. The Millisaurs were like, they looked a bit like Rippers from the Tyranid range back in the day. And again, they've been working out at the gym and look horrific. Um, you weren't fan on the Ripper Jacks. You prefer the Millisaurs, Dave. I want to know your thought on various creepy crawlies that live <laughs> in the Underhive. I, uh, I didn't like the Ripper Jacks, no. These look um, better, but um, they're still not really my taste. Now, however, if they did a massive monster, I'm talking Tremors-style worm-type creature, I might be tempted by that. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. I guess I guess you haven't got the nostalgia for the old like mid nineties rare millisaurs and ripper jacks, have you? Sadly not, no. Oh well these these are on the way soon. I can't wait to pick them up. They look really, really cool. Now we did get a little tease today of the next um Warcry expansion. Not many details. We just saw some silhouettes. We know it's called Blood Hunt, and there was two silhouettes in the video. One of which is definitely a brand new corn mortal infantry kit. I think it was a given that corn. Um, they probably needed some new kits, didn't they, when the when the new uh, battle tome comes out, and a new infantry kit would be cool because those old ones uh, they've, they've existed from the dawn of Age of Sigmar, haven't they? The they Blood have, Weavers yeah. Blood Warriors. So I, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and guess. Do you think they're going to be called Blood Hunters to keep with the? Uh, blood something theme of all the, uh, the probably units. <laughs> and the box is called blood hunts um what i don't know about though is the is the other silhouette now i think we saw a snippet of this during the um the the, the teaser of all the new models coming in the year that we got um over christmas and new year and i'm in two minds it looks it looks a bit el- uh, elven with the with the kind of the blades that it's got and the, and the kind of the, the, the kind of more graceful silhouettes but part of me thinks could it be a slanesh model what do you guys and there's not a lot to see from the, the teaser trailer but what do you guys think i i personally think it's a uh, doors of cane doors of cane yeah it's a possibility i mean but, we've uh, had rotmire creed haven't we bad like mm-hmm. the nurgle we've had jade obelisks which are kind of zinchian 
we're yeah. assuming we're getting the corn one and this one but i we've already got um i think it's could be unmade for slanesh so Ooh, they're not they're not they're not explicitly slanesh though they, no. they are in the Slanesh book, so I think we will get a Slanesh warband. I guess it's the question of will we get two opposing god ones in this box? Yeah, Corn and Slanesh are, are the sort of uh, opposites of each other, aren't they? The opponents yeah. of each other, aren't they? I, yeah. I personally think, because they're really pushing this blood theme with the new box, I think Kane has got more of a say when it comes to blood. I mean, they've got a big shrine yeah. with a big blood thing in it like a big cauldron so um i i personally think they're, they're gonna really get on board with that b- blood theme and, and go for for cane and corn and then have slanesh in the next one it's not a yeah. vampire is it it's definitely not a vampire well it could <laughs> it, well, it could be a vampire you never know yeah that, that would be show. cool yeah I, i'd like it if it was a vampire and that silhouette that they showed off is the vampire and then the rest of the war band is like skeletons and zombies and fell bats and stuff like that. I new think that Graveguard, cool. new Graveguard led by a vampire. Yeah. Oh, that'd yeah. be epic. So and I think that the Daughters of Cain, yes, they've got one unit specifically that's a cauldron of blood. But I think for a theme for the box, the vampires goes more into the blood hunt kind of vibe, I guess, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Get my hopes up now. Hope it is vampires. Yeah, be cool, be cool. Uh, let us know what you think. Yeah, <laughs> on the on the socials. Uh, but yeah, it looks it looks pretty cool, and I'm looking forward to seeing uh, what is in it. Something else I am looking forward to though is the old world, and this year is the 40th birthday of um, Warhammer Fantasy. I share my birthday with Warhammer, which always makes me put a little smile on my face. Um, We've we've had little drips of information about the old world. Um, we've not seen any models yet. It's presumably still a little while out. However, I think we got one of the biggest info dumps that we got for a while on Warhammer Community, giving us um, an idea of the setting of the game and kind of, I guess, setting the scene for maybe more reveals in the future. Now, this is set a good 200 years before the end time. So if you think about a lot of the characters that are in our you know, army books at the time, may not have even been born yet when this game is set. It is just at the kind of outset of the Great War Against Chaos, when the initial, um, I guess, Chaos Lord, Asfar Kul, led his armies down, and uh, the Empire of Man, uh, it, it wasn't unified, but they did kind of, unite after fighting off this 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 chaos incursion the old world is set at the kind of outbreak of that so the empire is a very fractured thing it's a kind of civil war really there's different kind of empire states all out for themselves um which is interesting because for this being like a historical game we get elements of like the Horus Heresy there where you could have Empire fighting Empire and it not be an issue. Now they don't worry, they do mention like orcs and goblins and beastmen and stuff like that within the article. So I don't think it's gonna be a case of all those old armies aren't there, but at the at the kind of whatever comes out, whether it's a big box or kind of a big wave that comes out initially, I think the focus will be on this Empire Civil War. And there's four different um kind of Empire factions. Now, from a, a, I guess, a models and marketing point of view, I initially think, okay, cool. So then you have a big 180 pound box with the heresy box, something like that, with a hardback rule book in, 
and then a truckload of new Empire kits that are painted up as two of these warring Empire factions. But of course, there'll be nothing to stop you painting them as one whole army for one of the four factions. And that's a nice way to get a lot of Empire kits out in one go. Because let's face it, those Cities of Sigmar kits are very, very old now. They will probably all get replaced with the, the Dawnbringer Crusades for a new look, mortal Age of Sigmar army. Uh, the, the old kits or majority of the old kits maybe then retire and then they come out with the new Empire kits for the old world. What do you guys think? I completely agree. I think we'll, it'll be the end of the free guild. Um, they'll be waved goodbye. Uh, and like you say, we'll get some brand new kits for the old world. And uh, we've already seen uh, some renders of, 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 of what to expect from the new City to Sigma stuff, which looks glorious. So, yeah, I completely agree, Matt. Interestingly, though, the artwork they use on the on the thingy the article is um, an Empire Great Swordsman, which doesn't look too dissimilar than the current Empire Great Swordsman model, which I think was a fairly recent Empire kit before Age of Sigmar. It was. It was one of the final ones. That's why I say I don't think all of them will go, but majority. I think the Steam Tank could exist, the the Swordsman, but then like Griffin. the yeah, but then the older stuff like the, um, the the state troops and stuff, I think could probably get a new kit done a lot cleverer to have more weapon options on there. You could yeah. potentially, if we're, if we're thinking with the Horus Heresy analogy, um, obviously that kind of sits under the umbrella of kind of like the the Forge World Studio, and what they tend to do is is be quite sparing with the kits. So you could have a brand new Empire Inventory kit, and then they maybe sell a box of melee weapons they sell a box of range weapons so you can use those stock bodies to build them anyway so a lot of historicals kind of do that kind of thing to minimize the number of kits that you need yeah it's good it's going to be interesting to see how much of a an emphasis they put on the empire especially initially because they're already kind of an existing army that you can buy now like like you guys said i imagine we'll probably get some new kits but then cafe and kislev have been mentioned as being a part of the old world which they never were in warhammer fantasy so for me i kind of look at them and think wouldn't it be cool if we got one of those in sort of like the quote-unquote like age of darkness equivalent to to introduce those armies into the game so it'd be interesting to see what happens yeah i mean that's i think compared to the horus heresy where you know 18 of the armies are space marines you know, what's that? 80% of the forces are Space Marines. Whereas in 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 the uh, old world, if it follows what what came before, you know, the Empire is just a single faction. Although you have mentioned that you've got that internal sort of civil yeah, war in the Empire. In the article, it's explicitly four different Empire factions at war. Yeah. So I mean, let's say, you know, I might be completely wrong. It could be Bretonians versus Tomb Kings in the starter box. We will get armies for the, uh, the Kislev. And we will get armies for Cafe. But I do wonder, plastic to resin ratio, I think may lean more onto the resin stuff. Like stuff like Kislev might be maybe some core kits in plastic and a lot of resin. Again, I'm just guessing here, but that's just kind of the vibe that I'm getting. Yeah, well, that's the difference, isn't it? They've they've got to they've got to support a lot more armies in the old world than in the Horus Heresy, where you know the bulk of it is Space Marines, uh, with a few sort of tagged on uh, factions. Uh, yeah. Whereas the old world, the scope is much bigger. You know, mm-hmm. you've got three factions of elves, four factions of Empire potentially, orcs and goblins, beastmen, tomb. You know, the list goes on. 
Now we we talked on this briefly on the on the painting stream uh, the other week, but where we've got factions that maybe haven't had some love recently in Age of Sigma, so Beastmen don't look like they're getting any new kits. Um, Skaven didn't really get any new kits. Ogres didn't really get any new kits. Do we think that's because those infantry squads may get updated plastics in the old world and serve dual purpose? Hopefully. Hopefully it does. Yeah, I think uh, I'm interested to see what we get. I'm interested to see when it comes out. I don't think as much as I'd like it to be this year. I don't think it's this year or if it is maybe at the tail end of the year. I I know they'd probably love to go go for the 40th anniversary vibe. But um, yeah, we shall see. A a new edition is a big thing and they tend to do big like summer releases, don't they? And yeah. let's face it, it's it's going to be tenth edition this year, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So uh, unless they do surprise us by having a, and a lot of specialist games, Necromunda, Blood Bowl, all them come out in the in the winter. But with this being such a big profile one, I'm sure they'd want that June release window to go. Here's the awesome new box. Go at it. Yeah. You know if, I, if I had to make a bet, it would be next summer. What I'd love is for them to release like the core rules or the actual rule book, and maybe oh, yeah. like a pdf document for all of the existing armies and then next year they bring out the cafe the kislev they relaunch the empire and bring out tons of special characters and campaign books and all that sort of stuff but or they've said that all of the existing warhammer fantasy miniatures which most of them transferred over to age sigmar are usable so it's kind of you've already released the majority of the for range you just need to release the rules yeah so i think that concludes the the news for for this podcast quite a lot of tasty stuff in there um lots of uh sort of positive miniatures on the horizon and always good to hear more about the old world um now we have got a massive exciting segment up next because we're going to be chatting to peter and duncan about something very exciting uh, a super top secret exclusive which we're going to reveal here on sprues and brews so keep listening so if you cast your minds back to episode 208 we had some special guests on the show mr duncan rhodes and peter buxton talking about two thin coats paints well guess what the guys are back with some exclusive news how are you doing gentlemen Oh, very well. Thank you. Very well. Good to be here. Yes, I'm doing fine as well. Thanks for having us on, guys. Any time. So, obviously, last time we were chatting about the, uh, the the first wave of two thin coats paints, and uh, I think you've got some some news to share with us on the uh, on the site today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's big news, hey, Peter. It is huge news, Duncan. Huge. <laughs> That's General. right. That's right. <laughs> um, shall I spill the beans? Yeah, yeah, go on, go on. Yeah. It's your paint. Uh, it's, uh, it's not my paint. It's got, <laughs> it's got it's your face on it. It makes me feel all guilty. It's our paint. Um, as <laughs> our wave paint. two. Wave two, everybody. 60 more paints. <gasps> that is super excited. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yep. That is very cool. <laughs> yes, yes. We're expanding the range. Um, it's a whole other 60, which is going to be uh, done through a Kickstarter once again. And this is uh, something that really fleshes it out. You know, just the, the original 60 is like the uh, the core, the core body of it. You know, the girders, the uh, the scaffolding. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> this is this is the extra stuff that sort of fleshes out and allows you to basically just sort of stay within this range, basically, and just paint anything. Um, so it's really cool. It's got lots of fun colours in it. Lots of really useful colours. Um, ones that uh, I 
<laughs> now I've been using them for a little while. Uh, I feel like I can't do without them now. <laughs> so what uh, what kind of brought about Wave Two then? Um, well, we uh, we want to make a a range of it's like top quality paints. I think it's fair to say. Don't you agree, Peter? I completely agree. Very very high quality paints. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, we um, we chose the initial sixty that we were getting going with. That was like a it was a strategic choice to have those ones because what they are are the uh, the most useful paints that um, I tend to use really. And so it's um, they were all selected to allow that bare bones you can paint lots of stuff with these things and you know you can mix some colors to kind of get around things but there are definitely gaps in it because that's the necessity of you know when you decide to do it in triads um because they kind of force your hand to have like um well we're not just going to have like one or two reds we're going to have three and then three blues and then three purples um mm. but because those three have to sort of be in line of the same sort of color um it means that there's just gaps of things that are really obvious so for example if anyone's doing any world war ii stuff you need a variety of like military greens like like olive greens and in wave one there aren't any whereas in wave two there are loads um we, there's no room for things like turquoises for like maybe magical effects or glowing effects things like that in wave two that's what we've got um it uh means you can like for very common colors sometimes you want that bright popping highlights to take it that bit further in wave two we can do really bright highlights so it's um it, it's all cool fun things that are going to be um, just useful all over the place. But like I say, it builds on top of what we had before. Amazing. That's uh, that's really cool. I, I know, um, like you say, you can get around some of the uh, the missing colours with mixing, but having pre-mixed stuff is just infinitely easier, isn't it? Especially, like you say, with the triads <laughs> as well, where you've got your your base, your mids and your highs all, all ready to go. So so what's the plan? Kickstarter again, did you say? When, when does it all kick off? Go for it, Peter. The other man uh, yep, um, <laughs> it's going to kick off on the 24th of January um, of this month. Hopefully, it should all be full full go by the time you hear this, and everything will be great. Uh, but yeah, it's going to run until the 9th of February, so we're not going to be new as much time as we want. However, we have got great news: is that after the Kickstarter, we are going to be on GameFound uh, for any late backers, anybody wants to be on there, and of course, you can put all your nice, lovely little add-ons there and order more sets if you want of course you'd want loads of sets but yeah we're also um going to be providing a chance to get hold of wave one as well oh, oh, nice. oh, nice. so if yeah. if anybody wants to have wave one and wave two together because who doesn't want 120 great paints um then you also have the chance to do that as well that's really cool so with the first kickstarter you had some fun uh unlockables and exclusive models and uh, even some uh exclusive paints like um there was a blood effect paint in there are there any plans for similar unlockables on this one uh there is for sure uh i don't really want to spill the secrets <laughs> because uh we, we might be taking it a little bit different but yeah there'll be there'll be some unlocks there there's some fun things that duncan will be duncan has been working on and roger as well uh we've got a few surprises in the background and uh yeah there there might be some new paints that we might not have told you about yet Ooh, some uh, ex- experimental stuff uh duncan's <laughs> been donning his white lab coat on and <laughs> bubbling away and doing that and we think we've got some really um really cool effect paints i mean that might not spoil it a little bit that that we've uh that you're gonna you guys are gonna be able to get early access to amazing 
So I, I guess that segues quite nicely into you guys have been quite involved in the in the creation of these colours. And it's not just a case of these are off the shelf paints that you've just stamped your name on. You've been kind of like actively involved in the creation, haven't you, Duncan? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's uh, it's been a very involved process. Um, Transatlantis were great about it, really, because um, uh, when all of this started way back in with wave one, um, it was like, so, you know, we think of these paints and things like that. And uh, we'd reply, well, we think it'd be really cool if there was a structure to it with this sort of system and things like that. And then the response was, that's amazing. What colours do you want? And we're like, uh, how many can we have? And it sort of went from there. And so um, I was able to essentially select them all and mix them all. So I'd be creating like a, a set of samples and it would go from there. And then there'd be um, days where we'd be working on each one one at a time to adjust it, to make it... Um, appropriate to what we would want um so you know we'd see them all laid out and we go well we think this one should change think this one should alter you know like sometimes they'd change completely there are some cases where the original triad we then took the the darkest one and that became the middle one because it was like we'd expect it and then an entirely new one would be created um there were some that i tried mixing out samples that when we were seeing them all laid out together we were like no it's just not quite what we want so we sort of like basically threw it out and said to the uh the scientists who um, can explain paint to you in words that you understand, but not in the order that they say them. It's like, it's great really, <laughs> science, they explain it, but um, they'll come back. So uh, one of them was, uh, I mean, I suppose we'll talk about the colours in a bit, but one's our highlight for red, um, which I don't know what they did, but they came back with the reddest red that ever did red. Um, <laughs> it's like eye-watering red. So, <laughs> um, and it, so it was great to be that involved in it. So all of these paints were designed that way, and um, all the... Um, aside from the colour, the actual properties of the paint were things that, again, I was allowed to pick. So I'd be given samples of bases and things, and I'd select which ones I liked and things. So it all came from there. Um, so the the properties of each one are things that basically I pointed to in the end and approved. Um, so, yeah, as it turns out, they ended up <laughs> the standard they do, which I didn't expect. But do you know what? It, it's great. I'm really happy with them. So, uh, yeah, it's been cool. They're not just off the shelf. They're all completely mixed, you know, um, made from scratch, I guess. That's really cool. Did you kind of, I guess, background doing videos and painting many, many models helping form that then? <laughs> oh, yeah, it, it, it really does. Because, um, I mean, my, my speciality is um, you know, army painting kind of stuff. You know, I, I, um, I encounter and deal with lots of people who are getting into the hobby. Um, and when you first walk into a paint range and just see it all laid out, like all these potential colours, it's really confusing. So um, it was that that informed the idea of creating this, these paints and triads so that as you understand, OK, so you basically want to have highlights and things and shading and stuff. All right. So these colours are sort of laid out so I can follow that. But as you gain confidence, you'll then, of course, go and do whatever you want and play around with them however you want, which is mm. what we intend. Um, but, yeah, the, the sort of areas where I've been working for I realised I joined uh, the TV studio 10 years ago now, which is, uh, feels a bit scary. But all of that doesn't form the whole reason why it is formed in the way that it is. Amazing. Well, do you want to tell us about some of the colours then? I know you've got quite a few new triads and then some exciting new stuff like glazes in there as well. Mm-hmm. OK, uh, where should we start, Peter? Uh, well, we could start at the top. Um Mm. Uh, at, at number 61 which is my okay. favorite uh yeah we, we we split it out a bit differently this time duncan haven't we? We, we we've got some triads but we've um when duncan was developing this duncan and roger were developing this i, I think to say you you've you've really expanded on the idea of the range and you've gone beyond where i 
well, I think where we all thought we would ever be, really. So there's some uh, there's some other exciting stuff at the bottom. So um, I think yeah. we're going to start with some some pinks. Yeah. Well, yeah. So good. yeah, with the triads. So yeah, yeah we've got triads. some yeah. regular triads, just like in wave one. Um, and there are 13 lines, if I believe if I remember correctly. So that's what 39 paints. And uh, these are um, like before, but it's some completely new tones. So yeah, we start out with a pink, and this goes quite bright pink. So we had burgundy in wave one, um, but we kind of went up to sort of like, well, you know, like a, a lighter one, uh, lighter burgundy so stuff that looks really good for like cloaks and things like that but this takes it further this is like right into the pink so things like you might want to have like the gums of some monster you know inside the mouth and things like that but then it goes really bright so anyone who's looking to um i don't know paint some space soldiers that like guitars and things this is good <laughs> right because it goes really bright um mm -hmm. uh so yeah and right i remember roger challenged me to see how bright we could go on this and we, we went very bright on the lightest one um, um I was going to say I've been using the tongue for um, to the paint. Uh, use the tongue, been using the pink to paint tongues. Mm -hmm. Yes. If you if you want it to look really really pink and icky. It's, yes. Yeah. Yes. Especially the sharp highlights on the very end with neo pink. Yeah, neo pink. <laughs> Amazing <laughs> paint. Amazing um, pink. Next up, we've got ones that I was very keen to get in. Um, these originally was sort of were in wave one, um, but it, it just wasn't quite. It, we were making compromises on the reds that we had there, so we thought we'd save it till later. And this is. Uh, more of maroon reds. I really like these sorts of colours. They're ones that I find look just really um, regal, really um, really rich. You know, they're great for, for cloaks and things and red armors and you've got all that, that sort of stuff. Um, but they're always useful because if you're painting just, say, um, uh, for example, a dude on a horse, it's um, you want it to look, uh, well, like the, the, the horse gear and everything to be well maintained. It's a beautiful red to do for saddle cloths and things like that. It's really, you, I find I just put this colour in just about everything I paint. So we made a full tried around it. So really nice maroon kind of tones that start to go more towards mm. a pastel -y sort of colour as a highlight. Um, next up, we've got some turquoise. This is one that Roger was very keen on um, because he loves these sorts of tones. Um, so we're thinking of kind of magical effects with this sort of set of colours. Um, so they're nice and bright, nice and sharp, very punchy. Um, and uh, yeah, work very well on like glowing parts and guns and that sort of thing. Um, this is followed up by another set that I was really keen on. And again, these are ones that were sort of in wave one, but again, it was a compromise. So we saved it to wave two. And that is these blues, royal blues, really deep blues. Um, so these are um, different from the ones we had before and that these are more rich. Um, so again, these work very well for things like cloaks and fabrics and that sort of thing. So nice and deep sort of colour. Um, then we've got the uh, the first of what I consider to be a skin tone triad. Um, and this is for sort of orcs and goblins sort of colours. Um, now, I think people are going to be really interested in these ones, wouldn't you say, Peter? <laughs> uh, I would say that there is a, these are particularly my, my some of my favourites, mm -hmm. uh, mainly be, mainly because of the one in the middle. Um, mm -hmm. Retro appeal. <laughs> is, is, is the one in the middle a close match? Because I think a lot of people might be interested in that one. <laughs> some might, might say. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we had, um, there were some particular tones that we had a lot of requests for, um, back when all of this was starting and everything like that. And um, this is again one that we uh, basically we wanted to set tones like this that are slight, they're green, more sort of fleshy kind of greens, you know, more sort of they've got a small hint of bone kind of color in there. Um, and this is again something we wanted to have a wave one, but we couldn't fit it in. So we thought we'd do it properly and do a, a whole triad based around these. And they look great, don't they? They look really nice. And, they and they do. Well. Uh, I, I've I've not painted an org using any other type of green <laughs> since <laughs> since these have come out. Um, yeah. 
so especially guitar are... guitar playing orcs as well <laughs> <laughs> that's right so these are ones that um so uh when i talk about the properties of paint uh, i'm sure everyone's aware of some color that they've tried using in the past to paint an army where it's like a major color on it and um, the paint will feel thick but it just doesn't cover very well you, you know what i mean and it, like, it's just yeah. frustrating to use and even though um it's like you, you'd add a touch of water to it right thin it down and stuff like that and you're like oh my god i've got to do coat after coat after coat it's starting to go lumpy what am i doing wrong um now greens are something that i've encountered a lot of that in the past and so when it comes to ones like this with these these orcish sort of colors um i was very keen on making sure that they did cover really well and thank goodness they do so they're yeah. just a joy to use they're just really really fun really um uh easy I would say you can get an even coat, smooth coat, very quickly, very easily with, uh, with no fuss. Um, so I'm really proud of those ones. And same is true of the next two lines, which are um, I think of as the military greens. And we've got two tones here. Um, this is because um, there's uh, it is quite weird um, when you think about the painting miniatures and things. It goes into military things. And there's also landscapes and things, and like, there's also like other sort of magical sort of green things. And you realise actually, green is a really um, common colour in a range because there's so many potential kinds of green that you can yeah. have. And yeah. I didn't really think about this when we were starting to do this, but um, yeah, it, it really came out in wave two when we realised we had loads of greens in there. Um, now we ended up with two lines of military greens because they're different sorts of military green here. The uh, the first line is more greyish green. The second line is more olive green. So when I talk about greyish green, I'm talking about things like German uniform. Um, so if you think of World War II, that sort of, um, you know, the legendary field grey, right? When you look at it, is it green? Is it grey? Well, it's sort of mm. And that's what this line's all about. So this is great for things like um, elven cloaks. So that's what I've been doing recently. I've been painting some wood elves. And these are ideal for getting that sort of blend into the surrounding kind of cloak going on. Um, the one after that are the ones that we had tons of fun naming. Uh, so these are Fury Green, Gung Ho Green, and Green Beret. Uh, <laughs> Genius. <laughs> no prizes for guessing what you paint those. <laughs> uh, so um, Fury Green is basically ideal for painting um, US tanks, you might say. Um, and Gung Ho Green is a little bit lighter. This is the one I use to paint um, some of my own tanks. So there's some Flames of War British tanks, and they are all Gung Ho Green. Um, and then Green Beret is a lighter one, so it's a nice highlight for all of these. Um, so I think these ones are going to be really popular. Um, yeah, yeah, I too, I've really enjoyed painting Shermans, but I've gone a bit more American, a bit darker with Fury Green, mm -hmm. and uh, using a cobbled grey to highlight them, which is the highlight from the the grey green as well, mm -hmm. just to get a different tone mm -hmm. um, than than you would do with like the more British kind of green that yeah, was around then it's more it's more the more the other green uh and incidentally as well i've also used cobalt gray for flash dead flash oh, nice. oh, okay. happy Very little nice. actor than that was so <laughs> that's, done yet. that's cool you have yeah. so many pictures of that yeah. <laughs> um yeah so they, these are great really happy with these um i think there's going to be cool to see what people do with them um and then we've got some more greens um but this time it's more jade greens um so this is hydro green jade green and ghoul green um so these are um like you imagine like painting gems or something like that and you want that mm. sort of deep green in the stone it's that sort of thing um so yeah these ones are uh, really nice tones or ancient um, dinosaurs there, Jake. They're, they're yeah, well, yeah. there's a couple of scales. Yeah, there's a couple of uh, trides in here that, that that jump out at me for the for, for, for some lizards on there as well. Yeah, but certainly this one as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
yeah, the the hydra green is. Um, I mean, it's it, it's one of my favourite colours anyway because it's like that dark jade. You could just use it for everything for shading red, shading oh, purple yeah. for mm. using behind a blue. You can get a cold tone in it. You can get a warm tone. Oh, it's just and and when you use it, you're just like wow. Again, as Duncan was saying with the greens they just go on and they flow wonderfully and smoothly and you've got a nice coat to work from and yeah it's just a joy to use hydro green is it's um i've had a lot of fun with that one. Oh yeah and as you move on to jade and ghoul green um they um they just flow really well don't they so if you're looking yeah. to do something with like really sharp highlights of those colors if you want to get that crystal appearance where it's really um really sudden as you move it for highlights they can look almost um shiny or you know mm. reflective um they basically flow really well for that so yeah um, this brings us then on to our next triad, which is sort of um, dirty greys, I would describe yes. it as. Slightly sort of brown, like earthy sort of greyish kind of tones. Mm. Um, so sort of like stone kind of colours. Now, the first one's called ashen grey. Um, and this one's very much inspired by another colour that a lot of people were asking us about. Um, okay. So, yeah, I think uh, I, I'm curious to see what people think of that one. Um, so it, it's got a, ever so slight tone of green in it. Um, and uh, yeah, it's quite a strange, hard to pin down sort of colour. But again, it's one of those ones that's really useful for doing um, things you want to blend into the earth, so like cloaks and things like that. It's great for that. Um, and it shades down nicely when you put a black wash over it too. And then this goes up through highlights, getting brighter. So we've got Eidolon grey and Rodent grey. So great for, like I say, sort of like dirty greyish tones that we might want to do. Stone, fur, that kind of thing. Um, then we've got um, some browns. Now, these are quite bright, punchy browns as they go up through the highlights. They start with a nice sort of um, nice medium, um, so, uh, warm brown, I guess best to say. And that is uh, Noble Steed Brown. And this one's great for painting horses, or you might call them Noble Steeds. <laughs> um, and these go up through sort of more orangey tones. So we've got Driver Bruce Brown and Satya Brown for our highlights for that. Um, Next up, we've got some ochre colours. Um, Gizmo Fur, named after Roger's little doggy. Um, our security uh, guard, bless him, barks at everyone and everything, and then he runs up to say hello. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, then we get on to doing our, uh, well, two more triads of flesh tones. Now, these ones are specifically done as flesh tones all the way through, and we've got two on this stage. Um, so we've got the first one, which is kind of sort of Mediterranean kind of... Um, uh, sort of tone you know like southern europe i guess um northern africa that sort of thing um and then after that we've got dark skin tones for like black skin um so these are going to be really fun i'm really interested to see what people do with these because they're really lovely tones that can really be combined in different ways along with the other flesh tones that we've got already so this is really going to uh flesh things out if you'll excuse the pun <laughs> <laughs> love it yeah, Duncan, it love it <laughs> it, it's it's great the the skin tones i remember when we were developing those we we put a lot of time and effort into into yes. getting them you know get them right i think is the best mm -hmm. way to to start acting as, as they should and as oh. you want flesh tones to do a bit similar to the ones that we did in the first go uh, go you know dwarven flesh elven flesh and barbarian brawn um and yeah the amount of people that you know the feedback we've had on just on those original flesh tones is like oh my gosh i can paint faces mm -hmm. Like, yeah, yeah, you can. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, these like, three colours. Absolutely, like yeah, and these are built in that, with that same thing in mind. And uh, yeah, you're right. The doing the um, Argonaut skin, Leonidas flesh tone, and Ares flesh—they were ones that we worked a long time on, weren't they? Yeah, they were. Um, 
yeah, and uh, but they're coming out great. And uh, I've been painting some Republican Romans using these, and I think it gives a really nice, um, nice feel to them. Yeah, all, all our Romans in the uh, studio are painted with those as well. So, amazing, <laughs> great fun. <laughs> yeah. All right, so that brings us to the end of the uh, the main triads. Um, so the next one are ones that um, this is something that Roger was wanting right from the very start, and that is to have super popping highlights for people to use. Um, now, when you're on a triad system, um, you uh, are kind of constrained by having to try and cover, you know, sort of dark, medium, light is general intent for each of these. Um, but sometimes you just want to go lighter. And uh, as Peter keeps telling me off for having in Roger, I apparently have a dark palette when painting things. Is this right, Peter? He does, yes. I think it was one model of it, first or second time we went, in, and it's like, Roger, and I said, has he always painted this dark? And Roger's like, no, it, it, it's, it's happened recently. He's, he's, got all, he's got all dark face. <laughs> on it's my like, dark phase. Yeah, he's got through his <laughs> dark phase. Yeah. Emotional metal. Sitting in the shadow. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so these ones are six colours that are just bright highlights. So these are intended to work with the existing triads of, you know, your primary colours and secondary colours. Um, these are ones that we intend that you'd use as that final little spot highlight on things. So of course we're interested to see what people do with them. Um, I've been using them for some glowing things. So one of the sample models I painted to show these paints is a space marine. It's a, um, a hell blaster. Um, with a big plasma gun i've been using them on the glowing effect on top of the the gun oh, nice. uh, so yeah and my favorite out of these is hell spawn red this is the one that we were talking about that uh the the the, <laughs> the i'm gonna call him a scientist because that's what it feels like he is being um he just came back with the most red red ever uh, <laughs> when you put it next to other reds they turn brown <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, it, it it is amazing. It is like Duncan literally sat there and said, "I need this to be more red." Yeah. And, and I went, okay, then and came back and it was like, oh, yeah. right, okay, yeah, that is that is well red. Yeah, <laughs> that is red. That is red. Absolutely. The, the sample I sent through was just I just tried to make a lighter red, and of course uh, you start to go into oranges and pinks, right? Yeah. Like just make it more red, and we just <laughs> couldn't get it right. And the end, he was just like, "Hang on, let me go and do something." <laughs> I don't know how he did this. Some sort of dark magic to create it. I was going to say, did he did he pray to the chaos gods or something to, to create <laughs> it? Red? Hellspawn red, isn't it? Mm. Absolutely. Mm, maybe. <laughs> Clues in the name. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're also very proud of the name Craven Yellow. Uh, <laughs> we thought that one was fun. I've got I've got to say, how much fun did you have naming all these paints? Not just from this wave, but from the first wave, because oh, it looks so, like you had a lot of fun. So much fun. Roger and I would do this as we're driving in the car for some one work reason or another. We'd just like be coming out with names and noting them down <laughs> and things as we went along. Um, yeah, we, we had more names that we couldn't use. Um, uh, I started coming out with ones that were puns on movies and things. I'm not sure we'd get away with them. And, you know, one-liners <laughs> from action heroes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we, 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 I need to shout out to the, uh, the, the crew at Transatlantis as well, because we do have our own names, but um, it, it's quite amusing sometimes. You, you'd be walking past and going, that's paint's not called that. <laughs> um, yeah, so we're on to uh, metallics. Um, so we've added some more metallics here. Now, um, the nature of what we wanted to add didn't really fit into triads this time. So what we did instead, we just have a really nice variety of metallic tones that can be combined with what we've got already. So, for example, um, Dwarven Iron is a really dark silver. So our Surcoat silver is sort of like medium to dark, but this one's darker than that. Um, 
they've got the thing with Overlord Brass is darker than Spartan Bronze. It's that, it's that sort of thing. Um, my favourite out of these is tough to pick between Dwarven Iron and Platinum Crown because Platinum's a really lovely, super bright platinum colour. So a great highlight if you're doing white gold on things. Um, how about you, PJ? Have you got a favourite? Well, it, it's going to have to be Dwarven Iron um, because now everything in the studio is painted with Dwarven Iron <laughs> since we found that one. Um, but it, for me, it's got to be Copper because the, the, the red in in that metallic paint is just mind poppedly just it's a beautiful paint it mm -hmm. it kind of it looks like copper is the best way to put <laughs> to, mm -hmm. to say it when you use it and it and and again it's just like oh right okay yeah, yeah that's perfect mm. yeah i'm so. i'm really looking forward to seeing these i think out of the whole range the metallics my favorite out of the two thin coats range not just from like the range from any paint range i think they're excellent metal so really looking forward to seeing these Awesome. Oh, I'm glad you like the original ones. These ones, are, yeah, we had a lot of feedback on Wave 1 about the metallics being so good. Um, these ones are the same sort of properties. So mm -hmm. what you what you have currently in the existing ones, these are the same feel, same style, same shininess and everything. It's just more colours. So um, we're, I can be really excited to see what people do with these. Um, this brings us on to washers. So we've added three new washers for this wave. Um, we've got a red, a blue and a purple, and these are nice deep dark colours, and these are ones that will tend to come in, I think, in more fantasy sort of uses, like painting monsters and magical weapons and things like that. Um, so yeah, they're going to widen out the potential of what there is right now and um, build on top of what we've got. Um, and this is followed up by glazers. Now this is another interesting one, uh, this is one where again we had loads of requests to do these, um so uh yeah we we heard and so here we go six glazers so we've got red yellow blue orange green and purple and these go on top of colors and essentially change the tone so they don't um, so they'll look like a wash when you first see them except they're much brighter colors and rather than settling into recesses what they tend to do is stick on flatter areas and give you essentially a color filter on things so what they allow you to do is to paint something with yellow, for example, and then put yellow glaze over the top of it. And what it does is intensify that yellow and make it more popping. Um, on Alternatively, what you could do is put a green glaze over it and start to tint it towards being green. So these are really fun for painters who like enjoying playing around with colours and things. And I know you've been using these a lot, haven't you, Peter? Uh, I have been using the glazes. They are the everyone's asking me what's the favourite thing about wave. Well, that's right. What's the favourite thing that you got to come in? And it's like I'm not going to tell you because. <laughs> these are going to blow your mind when you see them. they are absolutely amazing um we've got some we've got some examples that you'll see on the kickstarter as well of some surcoats painted with them mm -hmm. and uh your eyes hurt when you look at the red and, and, and the green it's just that these are all pure undilated uh, yeah they're just amazing um i've, I've used the well, i went back and paint, repainted all of my uh oryx my yellow red yellow with the yellow glaze um and all you can see is the shields it's brilliant <laughs> oh, it's, it's big I'm, sneaky uh, orcs going through the uh, swamps with their huge bright yellow shields <laughs> i'm really looking forward to these too uh since since other paint supplies discontinued their glaze ranges i've got a few precious drops in a bottle that i've been clinging on to so hopefully these will be able to replace them <laughs> well, I, I, yeah I, I remember hearing about that sort of stuff for for years people saving onto these bottles and things like that so uh, so anyway yeah i think that's why it was a big request I didn't i didn't expect that when wave one came along but uh but yes we uh you know what i say give the people what they want and uh, so there you go 60 paints of all kinds of lovely colors 
Amazing, very exciting. So do you have any details on the, on, on the kind of the Kickstarter uh, kind of tiers that you've got this time around? Uh, we're keeping it simple this time around with the Kickstarter. Uh, we're doing 60 paints of wave two, or you can have 60 paints of wave one, or you can have all 120 paints. Amazing, nice and easy. Nice and easy. With, with it being, with the range being out there and established now, we, we think that we're, you know, we're in a good position for people to say, yes, we want these colours and away you go you get all of them uh, again as with Duncan uh, as he said at the beginning is that this is more of a um, kind of I wouldn't say a, an add-on to wave one but it's it's probably more of a complete package isn't it Dunk that mm-hmm. rather than you know this is your black this is your white this is your as I say, to, to like me that, looking but... at these colors it feels like the the range is um, complete as complete as a, a paint range could be I guess yeah. Um, but yeah there's still other sure potentials that... or things that we can you know we've got other ideas and things that we could add who knows maybe in the future but um with these um it kind of becomes a uh what's the phrase a self-sustaining thing you could just uh, paint anything just floating around in this this standard of paint um and uh, this has actually been an interesting thing because uh so uh, my wife started painting miniatures all of a sudden she just started <laughs> doing it one day and she's really got into it and she has of course been dipping into my paint collection and she's ended up just using one of these <laughs> well, excellent <laughs> Um, so yeah, and she's been painting all kinds of things of all sorts of different types and stuff, and she just doesn't go out of these colours now. Um, so that's good. Um, but I've told her if there's things that are missing that she thinks that we should do, she should tell me. Um, so far, she's not told me anything. Yeah, good. Amazing. So obviously on Kickstarter again, what were the ups and downs of the first Kickstarter, and is there anything you're doing different this time around? <laughs> Silence. That is a question for me. The, well, the ups. Uh, well, the downs of the sleepless nights. Uh, uh, I bet. Uh, uh, no, um, no See, I've, I've, I think a lot's been learned, hasn't it? Uh, yeah, all... the, the, the lessons learned. We have tried to make sure that every time that we we went ah, that we could have done it better, we think we have this time round. Um, with with little things like knowing the lay of the land. Um, I, mean, I don't want to go too much into the world in 2023 as it is now uh, it's a different place uh, we think we've adapted to that we think we can understand that uh, there's a lot more that we can control now in the process uh, for example from this time last year we didn't have a manufacturing plant in Liverpool this year you know we do now um, so we've got all that under our control uh, I mean as, as Duncan can attest for wave two it's just gone so Put mono up perfectly, but smoothly, hasn't it? Totally different. With the planet, yeah, it's totally different. It's like, all oh, right, okay, we need to do this, we need to do that. Uh, you know, we've got so much prepared now mm. because we know about it because those lessons have been learned. Yeah. Um, we do I mean, that. It's fair to say with with wave one, um, the, it was held up with um, unexpected things constantly happening um, that um, have been dealt with during that process, which means now there's basically a system that's laid out. So um, Every, I mean, and like all the, all the things that you wouldn't expect, you wouldn't really think about, like um, uh, the long story that happened with the foam in which the paints were packed. Um, well, now that's there and it's no longer a case of, right, we've got to sort this out now because all these crazy things are happening around the world that have knock on effects and stuff. So it's um, it's like the path's already been trodden, hasn't it, Peter? Yeah, yeah, it, it's um, I, I don't want to make it sound as simple because it's a huge logistical operation, but oh, it's yeah. almost it, it's <laughs> almost like a cut and paste now, isn't it? It's like, oh, well, we did this last time. 
there we go we just do it again repeat uh, rather than going oh right okay we've got to solve this problem and 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 etc it's um it, it's a lot easier this time around isn't it isn't it Duncan, with, with the planning and stuff like that it's almost like second nature we would say yes. hopefully yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Pros at this now, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> I would say that. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you, do you have an expected release date then for the for the second wave? Uh, it's going to be six months from the end of the Kickstarter. Amazing. So, yeah. Well, exciting. To, well, thanks a lot for for coming on and chatting to us. To, uh, thanks a lot, guys, for coming on and chatting to us about the new paints, guys. Really excited to seeing what what everyone does. Are you guys excited to see what the community does with these paints as well? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's the coolest thing. I tell you, it's surreal seeing normal, like out there, normal situations and being used. Um, it's a very odd experience. I can, I, I struggle to get my head around it. I, I, I think I just uh, quantify it. Oh, it's some of the paints that people are using, and then you see my name on the side of it, and it freaks me out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I think people are really going to enjoy them. I can't, I can't wait to see what they do. Um, I'm especially interested to see what starts happening with all the glazers. Um, I think people are going to have a lot of fun with those. Um, yeah, I, I really hope people like them. Amazing. What's the what's the feedback been generally for the first wave? I know where uh, there's been a few glowing reviews of the uh, the range, hasn't there? Yeah. Um, thank goodness people like them. <laughs> so uh, I think I think that stood out to me is um, we've had so on on our website um, we will get people sending us emails in telling us about them, their experiences and things, um, and. Uh, a lot of them have been reflecting on something I was trying to explain in uh, various um, podcasts and things back with Wave 1, um, in that the paints have a particular quality about them. Um, they are basically just really high quality ingredients going to them, and there's things in there that are a little bit different um, to what people might be used to. Um, so the result is they uh, just go on silky smooth. They, they go on really nicely. They cover really well. Um, they do exactly what I would hope a paint would do um, and this is consistent throughout the entire range and so it's not just like there's certain colours you know are good and certain ones that you would rather avoid and like go around the house and try and get the result you want all of them do what, the, what I would want them to do um, and we started getting emails in um, saying that they suddenly understood what I was trying to explain and it's a difficult thing to um, to get across really and I was just having to resort to saying um, trust me when you try one you'll get what I mean and this is what a lot of the feedback was saying. So uh, I was um, really proud, really, really relieved, frankly, that people were saying that. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's mentioned earlier about kind of the consistency of some colours, bones and yellows and oranges, sometimes a bit finicky to get right. But just they just go on so nicely. So it's hard to explain how like smoothly they go on while retaining the kind of pigmentation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah it was it was a key thing of the whole range right at the very beginning. Um, it was uh, honestly it was just as important in some ways more important than the actual colours itself, getting it to to do what you want it to do. Um, yeah, and we're really proud that it, it does it so well. Amazing. Well, very exciting. Good luck for the Kickstarter, guys. I'm sure it'll be a massive success. And yeah, can't wait to paint some miniatures now. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you.
So uh, again, our thanks to uh, to Duncan and Peter for talking about uh, Toothing Coats. But that's not the only super special guest we've got on the show this week because we're joined by Patrick Murphy from Cubicle 7 talking about their brand new upcoming Warhammer 40,000 RPG, Imperium Maledictum. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. No worries. Anytime. Always exciting to have uh, Cubicle 7 on to talk about some exciting new releases. So before we talk about Imperium Maledictum, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what Cubicle 7 do? Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, Cubicle 7 are a uh, we're a games company. We we are very we're very invested in narrative experiences, um, as we refer to it. But if, for the most part, that means we do role playing games. And hmm. um, we've also done some card games and board games in the past. Um, and we have a, a, a good amount of um, virtual tabletop support these days as well on the Foundry and Roll Twenty. Um, so we do three different um, Warhammer games uh, at the moment. Uh, we do Wrath and Glory, which is another Warhammer Forty Thousand game. We do um, Soulbound, which Age of Sigmar Soulbound, which is set in the Age of Sigmar, of course. And we do Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, which we do, we're doing the fourth edition of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, um, which is set in the old world. Um, and we also do um, many other games. We do Doctor Who. We've got some of our own um, sort of fresh topics coming out shortly, which is uh, Victoriana, which is a sort of Victorian steampunk game. Nice. We'll be getting an update soon. Um, we've got Broken Weave, which uh, is a sort of a, a dark fantasy with a sprinkling of hope sort of game, which is going to Kickstarter soon, um, and many other plans in, in, in the works that I, I couldn't possibly list them all. It would take too long. Amazing. It seems like an exciting time for role-playing games at the minute. Uh, I guess lockdowns maybe uh, brought more people together virtually to play games then. Uh, definitely it has. Um, I mean, the Foundry was something that we were... The support was already coming there from the community, so we were really lucky to be in a position to be able to hop in and put a big official stamp on it and everything else, um, which I think has meant that it's like way more sustainable. So we we have we work really closely with um, uh, Man, it's his Discord handle, <laughs> to uh, get things on there for Warmer Fantasy Roleplay, uh, especially, but also for Wrath and Glory and Soulbound. Um, awesome. And we have some support in Roll20, and we'd like to expand it um, if we could, but we haven't. Uh, been able to establish like quite as good a relationship with somebody who's you know going to be able to develop for us in-house so uh you know that we're still we're still looking around for that um, and possibly because roll 20 everyone wants to be on there but um it's harder to pin someone down but uh yeah the the, the pandemic did a lot to um bring people together online and uh, for all its many many problems at least that was something a silver lining. <laughs> yeah, you have to look for it, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. So, so obviously we've got Imperium Maledictum coming with the big, big new Warhammer 40,000 role-playing game. We've had a number of different role-playing games set in the Warhammer 40,000 universe over the years. Have you yeah. taken any inspiration from you know what's come before, maybe in the past? Uh, well, we definitely have done, um, though we're trying to forge our own path as well. Um, something that we've seen in the past um, was that you get quite a broad you know, a breadth of different games, um, focusing on like the Inquisition, focusing on the Guard, um, focusing on Space Marines or, you know, a specific uh, chapter in the sense of the De Death Watch or whatever. But um, we wanted to do something that uh, was a little different, but also had room to bring all of those um, different sort of topics in if we wanted to. So um, Imperial Maledictum in, in some ways is sort of like the hub that we can build many different spokes off of. Um, 
so it, it's sort of a platform for telling a lot of different stories but the the core the, the base game probably draws more from warhammer fantasy roleplay than from okay anything else um at the moment in terms of its its system and, and a little bit quite a bit of its feel i would say as well awesome well, that segues quite nicely into the next question so obviously warhammer fantasy roleplay is d100 based what's the kind of mechanics of imperium maledictum will players of fantasy roleplay be familiar with how the game works then yeah, it's D100 based as well. Um, they'll be relatively familiar with it. We use uh, Warmer Fantasy Roleplay as like a major building block for um, Imperium Maledictum. Um, there have been some changes. Um, we've learned some sort of lessons along the way. There was also some considerations for the fact that like, as you know, so uh, Warmer Fantasy Roleplay, you is probably melee first sort of combat situation, which ranged combat is something that happens um, in support of that. And a lot of warmer 40,000 groups will take exactly the opposite approach because obviously you can grab a couple of chain swords and absolutely go to town um but there's an awful lot of very powerful firearms in mm. um warmer 40 in, in in 40k and uh, you know we wanted combat to be sort of fulfilling and survivable uh with with all of that around so we we played with some ideas and, and some things about like how opposed tests work for example um you you generally can't oppose as many ranged attacks as you did oppose melee attacks in in uh, more fantasy roleplay which speeds things along a little bit um, okay. you know you're, you're not counting as many success levels and comparing but pe people should find it familiar um some things we reworked completely like the psychic power system is is a good few miles away from the um the magic system say in um more fantasy roleplay like as it should be because they're two different things but there's comparisons there um but yeah i, I think people are going to enjoy it. I think the, one of the main notes we took from it was a sort of a grounded, um, you're, you're not playing a space marine in Imperial Maledictum. The yeah. system could certainly support it. And we may even add options for that, like down the line in one of those sort of spoke books that we add. Um, but from, from the get-go, you're like a, an, an average or slightly above average sort of Imperial citizen being plucked out of your familiar role to serve powers of questionable intent sometimes mm, I bet. no that sounds exciting that sounds really cool so so can you tell us a little bit about the initial kind of setting and scope then of imperium maledictum yeah so um what's well, so let's touch on setting first so it's set in the macarian sector um which is the sector that was forged out of sort of the majority of um lord Sora macarius's conquests during mm. the macarian crusade which was is about 500 five centuries ish before the um the start date mm. uh so you know i'm sure anyone familiar with the lore because it's quite old lore but it's we love it anyway and i, I think other people do as well yeah. but it was one of the last great um outward expansions the imperium ever did um because it would have been ten thousand years of everything slowly getting worse more or less for the imperium after the emperor uh ended up on the golden throne but um lord solar macarius didn't just like reconquer old stars he conquered new stars and new worlds um for the imperium um so they said like a thousand worlds um we, there's about 700 systems we think in the macarian sector and um, though the, the administratum are very cagey and struggle with this kind of thing um but around that um and the macarian sector it went through the uh essentially a sort of macarian heresy after the conquest was done macarius died his generals couldn't agree on who was going to run things um, and there was, I think, a good 70 years of 
warfare and um, horrendous, you know, uh, abominable crimes and atrocities and the like before things sort of settle down. So nothing in the Imperium is ever cut and dry. You know, there is no, it was conquered and everything was great. It was like, it was conquered. Everything was terrible for 70 years. <laughs> you know, it's been about more than four centuries from then, but a lot of those wounds still linger. Um, yeah. And now you've had the Noctis Eterna, the coming of the Cicatrix Maledictum, you know, the the general everything is really bad now um how, <laughs> well, how are we on a scale that? of bad to really bad yeah it's uh not much good going on in the imperium is there no you can't have that scale you can't have a one to ten because you know someone will always turn up to, to turn it up to 11 so you just have to say let's <laughs> go just worse everything was bad and then it got worse amazing that's um, cool yeah so the sector is that's the, the setting um and we, we give like a quite a chunky sort of um introduction to the imperium at large and then we give another chapter that's like here's the Macarian sector. Here's several worlds, different little power struggles, lots of plotups for GMs to to build on. Um, and the focus really is a, like it's it's a very investigative sort of game. Um, you know, you're expected to root out cults and um, you know heretics and the like inside the Imperium, um, or maybe you are those people. Uh, but it, it's very Imperium focused. So. Yeah. You know, there's a little bit of Xenos stuff going on, Genestar cults and the like, but it's it's a different style of game to say Wrath and Glory, which I think is the obvious comparison being our other Warmer 40,000 game. Um, but yeah, this, so the scope is pretty big. Um, I mean, uh, Wrath and Glory it takes place in, in a single system, and that's like extremely fleshed out and very cool. Uh, but this takes place over a whole sector. So, you know, you, you will be potentially traveling around quite a lot to different worlds. Um, though you could tell a compelling story just on one world or even just in one hive, I think. That's really cool. So you mentioned earlier about, you know, players not being space marines, at least not initially. And in Warhammer Fantasy role play, we see people take the mantle of just an everyday person grinding out their ex- existence in the horrific world of Warhammer. Is, is that something yeah. we're trying to try and capture then in Imperium Maledictum? Like, what what is an average person's day like in the really, really bad universe? <laughs> Well, it's pretty bad. Um, so, I mean, an average person's day is made up of a lot, like toil and worship, and just enough food and just enough rest, so that you can toil efficiently the following day. Um, that's that's broadly it. But in in terms of character creation, um, like the types of characters you can make are quite broad, and we we, we haven't tied it down to um, careers exactly, as you'd be familiar with from world fantasy roleplay. Um, so every character is made up of an origin, a faction, and then a role. So your origin is like where you come from, you know, what, what, because there's not a lot of upward mobility, generally speaking, you're <laughs> not a lot of social mobility. So your, your origin is like, oh, you were born on an agri world. You were born on a, you know, on a forge world, or maybe you're void born, like you're born on one of the ships that travel between the Imperium, which are, are so vast that they have populations aboard them, uh, you know, that just yeah. have never left the ship sort of thing. Um, so that's your origin and that decides some of your like sort of starting characteristic bonuses and skills and so on that you would have. Um, and then you choose your faction, which is probably, so there's a table that's kind of weighted to make sense of where you're from. So if you are from a forge world, the faction that sort of you worked for or your, your toil contributed to was probably the uh, Depths of Canvas. But, you know, you have chances of maybe you were in the Astra Militarum who, you know, they gather a tithe of people from almost every world. Um, so your faction is you know, your vocation, what you were doing before um, your patron found you. And that decides, again, a bunch of talents, some starting equipment, more characteristics and skills that you get. 
And then your final thing you choose is your role. And your role is the thing your patron wants you to do. So we have a suggestion in there, which is the GM can say, well, as your patron, I think you're a warrior. I think you're an interlocutor, which is when you talk to people. Um, or you can choose for yourself, of course. And that gives you your last little selection of uh, equipment, skills, and stats, and so on. Um, so with the combination of the three of those, you get a character that um, can be quite like focused on doing just one thing or can be a little more rounded. Um, and you know you can explain that with in terms of what they've been doing and how their their life has gone. Um, but with that, you should be able to create a character that fits into uh, a lot of the roles. So with some of the roles you might see on the tabletop, you know, like an astromilitarum trooper or mm. e even a, even a low ranking officer or a sort of a, a low ranking tech priest or Skitari or something like that. Um, but also within, you know, the, the areas that aren't always covered on the, in, in the war game. So there haven't been a lot of models of administratum adepts. Um, yeah, but yeah. obviously, you know, if you want to navigate the bureaucracy of the administratum, it can be helpful to have an adept with you who knows which forms to fill out and what sort of blood to use in the ink and so on. <laughs> have we got a, have we got an equivalent to the rat catcher then? Is there a uh, underdog class that uh, you quite like? Um, it's probably the recidivists. So um, a recidivist is somebody, is, that's the faction, which is really just all of the criminals and outsiders. Right. Sort of fill in the gaps of imperial society. Um, and they get a few nice tasty little talents that make them good at navigating that kind of setting. And we have found in games that you players constantly end up saying like well we need to go to the black market here or we need somebody who yeah. can talk to the gangs because you run up against the bureaucracy or there's questions about you know corruption is everywhere um so we might as well be corrupt as well and go let's talk to the local gangs and see who can get us into this place and um, right. so it's always handy to have a recidivist on hand who knows knows the lingo and doesn't you know reek of um the uh an enforcers or reek of authority you know yeah no that's that's really cool so, so I, I like those guys <laughs> in um in games of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, it can be quite brutal at times. You know, in Soulbound, you're you start off as a a mighty hero. I'm guessing the Imperium Maledictum really similar to fantasy roleplay in that uh, things are dangerous, you may die lots. Yeah, it's it's arguably a little worse than fantasy <laughs> roleplay. Well, no one ever pointed a plasma gun at you. This is true. Uh, this is true. Um, the yeah, so we've we've tweaked the system a little bit, and it is pretty harsh. So um, critical hits, first of all, um, aren't completely random. They're based on how much damage you've taken. Um, put, you know, how much damage you've taken that would push you past zero wounds. So mm. you can still get crits just from a, a critical roll from the enemy. Um, but the most common way to get crits is when you run out of wounds. Um, so once your hit points, your wounds get to zero, you can keep fighting. But at that point, every injury you take is going to be a roll on the critical hit table. And um, we, we have moved the instant deaths to the point where if you just take like one or two points of damage, you can't roll a, an instant death, thankfully. Mm, okay. But once you're taking seven, eight, nine, ten points of damage, um, you know, the chance of death becomes quite high. So, I mean, the thing we found in playtesting was like, once you're on zero wounds, consider lying down, consider not being <laughs> in this fight anymore because, you know, withdraw from this because you're, you're so, you're very vulnerable. Um, and we've removed uh, something that was in Warfare, which was you could uh, do critical hit deflection. You could sacrifice a bit of armor to avoid mm. a critical hit. Um, but the armor is doing its job of reducing wounds, so that's and that's all it does for you. Uh, you know, with the exception of things like power armor that actually give you a bit of a strength boost. Um, so it, it's fairly lethal uh, as a game. So do be careful. Um, everyone does start with some fake points, which give them a little bit of a get out of jail free card on those first couple of uh, mistakes. But once you start spending those, you don't really get them back, and you know that's that starts to loom. It's it's always very close by in um, the Imperium. So <laughs> do be careful. 
and I apologise to all the people who are going to lose beloved characters in Imperial <laughs> Malevictim. I guess with, with that, we've got a similar kind of like corruption mechanic. So in fantasy roleplay, I always kind of plays as a hedge witch or something, and the rapid descent into madness and uh, chaos. We do, and we've tried to be explicit about how much corruption you get from certain mm. things. So like seeing a demon versus touching a demon versus listening to a demon. Okay. Um, but also um, we've kind of touched on like how you can get rid of that, um, which wasn't as much there in, you know, so there's ways to get rid of corruption other than just giving in and having a mutation, either mental or physical. You know, you can make your penances to the emperor or, um, you know, beseech the Omnisaya for, you know, to purge the, your weak flesh uh in in a kind of between adventures sort of thing mm. which which doesn't mean it's okay to go you know bathing in um nerdlich sort of filth <laughs> but uh it does give you a bit of an option to try and get rid of that because you know we have found that once you get one or two mutations it, it, it can be tough you're either lopping that limb off and looking for an augmetic or you're no longer very playable depending on what they are yeah so yeah they're still there and you do need to take care and i mean if you're a recidivist or something like that or in certain games you could get away with it for a while yeah. um but corruption is, is very present and a, and a problem and of course psychers are more open to it than anybody yeah i, I imagine probably not a good idea going dabbling into the warp is it um so rarely <laughs> so uh obviously the cubicle 7 release have had substantial kind of supplement support i take it that's something you're looking to do with imperium maledictum going forward then yeah we've planned it out fairly heavily um so uh the initial release is going to be a, a chunky rule book which is coming in at 352 pages which is mm-hmm. around our kind of standard big heavy rule book um yeah. we're doing a starter set uh, which is sound the high world of Vol, um, which is a uh, sort of processes and extracts chemicals from the Imperium. Um, and it's just as caustic and horrible as <laughs> you think that might be. Um, and that, that should be a really good entry point to people who want to play um, I Am. That's going to come with like pre-generated characters and, and pre-generated patrons. And okay. something we didn't touch on was that like one of the things you do is create your patron. That's certainly an option for groups, um, which we found really fun. Um, but then after that, we're also going to have a GM screen, which is kind of the initial the bundle that should all be out kind of Q1-ish this year. Okay. Um, but then after that, we're going to be um, looking at specific factions and building up on them. And I, I think I'm just shy of being able to announce one. But I mean, you were talking about older games before, and there's certainly some factions that were explored in depth or that got their whole own game that we think people should have you know, the option to play as. So the first um, supplement should be a two-book um, sort of slipcase for one of those factions that people, I think, are going to really enjoy, basically. Um, it should be a good nostalgia trip for folks as well. Uh, and the two books are sort of a player's guide and a GM's guide to that faction. Within the same set? Within the same set, yeah, and they'll be out around the same time. I think the player's guide will probably be out a little sooner, but not, you know, talking a matter of weeks. Um, yeah, and so you can buy both books separately, standard edition, or you can get like a collector's edition slipcase that has both. Oh, nice. Uh, cool. in it. Awesome. So obviously one of the, the, I guess, probably the most popular releases has been the uh, Enemy Within series for Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. Have you got plans yeah. for a big kind of sprawling campaign for uh, Imperium Maledictum then too? I, yes. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> it's like, how, how, should I equivocate? Um, yeah, we'd love to do that. I love the Enemy Within. It was the first project I worked on for uh, Cubicle 7 uh, on Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. So, you know, I I, I love it. It was, uh, I loved playing it before ever I was in the industry, um, you know, and, and I think we did it. I feel we did a really good job on parts four and five. Um, mm. 
you know, which were, were kind of new, basically. Um, five was a, a rework of the previous end of the Unearthed Inn, and, and four was the Horned Rat, which was totally new, based on, on ideas Graham had originally had um, uh, back in the day. And But uh, the, I mean, Imperium Maledictum, I think, is calling out, calling out for something um, similar. I don't know if I would do, again, willingly, a five-book series that also comes with five companions, so like a 10-book <laughs> thing to get a campaign done. I think that's a lot and more suitable for something like a collector's edition of a beloved campaign. So I, I think we would start with um, maybe something like a three-book campaign. Yeah. But we'll, we'll, we'll see how that goes. We have, we have an approved notion, an idea that um, sort of dips into the history of the Macarian sector a little bit, and that would be really, I would love to develop that. So I think we should get to. I guess I, I, you guys are quite close with Games Workshop, aren't you? So I guess you've got the advantage of uh, all their input as well, I guess. Yeah, we've been really lucky um, with them. So I, I think everyone who works as a licensee for Games Workshop, you know, there's a there's a, a sort of a licensing department there that we work really closely with, and that's full of like really knowledgeable, enthusiastic people. Because it sounds like oh, it's the licensing department, and you think it's a bunch of um, you know, sort of pencil pusher types, but I haven't met anyone like that in Games Workshop. Everyone's, kind of, you know, the first thing you talk about is like which armies you collected and so on. Um, so really, really enthusiastic, great people there. But with IM, we've also had the benefit of getting like a lot of direct input from the studio, which has just been brilliant. So um, we're delighted with that uh, and looking forward to developing, you know, building more on the strength mm. of that. Amazing, cool. So if there's, what's the one thing you're most excited about in Imperium Maledictum? Oh, um, yeah, I mean, oh, I really, okay, the thing that's in it that I love is the patron system and possibly the psychic power system. Mm -hmm. um, so the patron system is you, so basically, if you want to have an adventure in War of Fantasy Roleplay, you can have five people meet in a pub and decide to go on an adventure completely plausibly, you know, like they've lost everything, you might as well make some funny, head into the Grey Mountains and see what happens, you know, and it's a, it's a game. And um, that's harder in, in War of 40,000 because, yeah. you know, the Imperium is always on the brink of absolute destruction, maybe at its own hands, um, just through like bureaucratic <laughs> nightmares. So the, the constant participation and toil of all of its citizens is essentially a necessity. So it's very difficult to get out of, you know, there is, if you meet at some weird lower hive sort of venue that produces alcohol based on industrial runoff, you know, you can sit there and think about having an adventure, but you know, it's it's difficult to pull people from any different parts of life and then to give them the capacity to ever leave their own world then is, is a whole other story. Um, which is why I think games uh, have often focused on like, oh, you're in the Inquisition and Inquisitor does something with you, or oh, you are working for a rogue trader and they're bringing you out of this life. Mm. So, you know, we see those people as sort of patrons and we wanted to expand what that could be. So in the base game, you can produce a patron who's from like, I think it's any of nine factions. So like, a recidivist patron would be someone like a gang lord, basically, um, you know, who's, and that'll give you a certain type of game, very Warhammer crime inspired. You could have someone, the Inquisition are there, the Adeptus Mechanicus are there, um, and you can make like a very powerful tech priest who pulls in a bunch of people to do things for him, you know, organic components that can serve the machine god um, and go and, serve, you know, by serving them. Uh, and they pluck you out of your uh, sort of world and give you things to do. Um, so we wanted player buy-in to create that person because otherwise it's just the GM ordering you around a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, so that patron creation system lets you sort of pick abilities, boons for your patron, like things they have access to. Um, and for each one you pick, the GM uh, secretly picks a liability. So that's like something they've got enemies or they're not who they say okay, they are or, okay. 
you know, they demand certain things. Like, you know, you show back up with an injury, a paper cut, and the tech priest is like, oh, well, you know what we do now? Augmentic hands. And <laughs> that's the only cure for that. Uh, you know, like they just load, they just are constantly tweaking you. Like you really are just a component. So, you know, we, I, I love the patron system. Um, mm. You know, I do think that some GMs are going to be not afraid of it, but nervous about giving up that level of control. And that's fine. You know, if you want to make, uh, if you want to pick your patrons, uh, the GM wants to pick the patrons, you know, who they are, where they are, that's fine. And let the players just pick the boons. But um, we've had really great games come out of like letting the players do everything and then kind of thinking, well, I had this adventure in mind. Why did the administratum care about a potential gene stealer cut? And you start thinking like, oh, they're siphoning off resources or they're, they're some kind of statistical anomaly that's, you know, messing with everything. And that, that gets interesting and it keeps you on your toes. So I love the patron system. Uh, and I quite like the psychic power system. Uh, we, we adapted heavily based from Wolfrop. So in, in Wolfrop, you spent a long time sort of channeling power and then releasing it, which is cool, but it did mean that you had to plan a couple of turns in advance, which was hard, yeah. how dynamic combo was. Um, but in, in, um, Imperial Maledictum, you sort of do the power with the appropriate roles and chances of failure and perils of the warp and all that, but you do the thing. And then you, based on the power you use, you gain an amount of warp charge. And depending on your sort of willpower and whether you're like, sanction cycle or not you have a, a a threshold for how much warp charge you can sort of safely hang on to and once you go past that you start dealing with consequences okay. so uh, and you, you can get rid of that you can um do this thing called purgation where you sort of you know deal with that charge that's building up and find non-destructive ways to get rid of it but i like that we sort of flipped the the way it works so you, you start by doing the thing you wanted to do and then you have a couple of turns to deal with the consequences as opposed to a couple of turns of doing nothing and then releasing the power um, it does mean psychics are quite powerful, um, but it also means that they can they can easily push it too far, um, you know. And then it's up to their buddies to kind of recognize when that happens and, uh, yeah. you know, administer the emperor's grace to them. And that's fitting for the universe, isn't it? You know, I, I'm sure your patron wouldn't be too keen on uh, them dabbling too deeply into their psychic powers, and uh, maybe he has a slight mm-hmm. nod to want to, you know, keep an eye on this member of the party. Doesn't quite trust him. Oh, definitely. Um, but, you know, you could be from the um, Adeptus Astra Telepathica. Your patron could be, uh, you know, a very powerful Sister of Silence who has yeah, tasks that a Sister of Silence can't do for, for many reasons. Mm. Um, so you, you could be um, you, you could be a party of like, a couple of psychers and their handlers looking oh, for nice. rogue psychers in the hive or people who've escaped the black ships or something. So, yeah, there's, there's a, a lot of room to play with there. That's really cool. So do you play Warhammer 40,000 yourself? And you know, if you do, what army do you play? So I used to play a, a, quite a bit of 40k and I played like tons of Blood Angels, basically was what I, <laughs> I played and collected. Um, and I still occasionally find unpainted boxes of them here and there. Um, but I, since sort of, I got very heavily into role-playing games in my 20s. And rather than playing like full-on um, war games, I ended up playing a lot of skirmish games. Hmm. So um, Mordheim, Necromunda, and uh, most recently killed him. And I actually picked up um, Beastgrave recently, some of the Warhammer oh, Underworld nice. stuff, um, to try my wife, because uh, she she likes board games, and that feels like a good middle ground, because there's a board, so I'm going to see how that goes. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've collected Blood Angels, and I've always had a soft spot for the Imperial Guard, the Astromilitarum as well. Um, my buddy John from secondary school collected a lot of those, and I, I always loved the tanks, so... Some, you know, sometimes I have a weakness and just buy one model and then see how it goes. It always starts at one model, though, doesn't it? And then escalates rapidly. It does. But I mean, that's the thing. Like, I think I've I've now got like Necron, Necrons, uh, Imperial Guard, 
um, Space Marines, obviously, and um, and Orc Kill Team. And then, you know, someone gave me a painted Orc or a Grosh tank for uh, my birthday last year. <laughs> and now I'm like, oh, you see, with the Kill Team and the tank, I'm kind of on the way to an army. It's there not that go. much more. You know, a couple of battle, battle force or something. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll see Do I get back into But I, I think um, skirmish games suit me more. And I like the kind of narrative. I feel like yeah. you can get stronger narrative around a handful of um, soldiers. So I quite like that. You know, they're all named anytime I do them, even when the rules don't really require it. It's, it's hard. It's going to be done. Rule the cool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I want to know who just got their face melted by uh, Plasma or Maltigo now. You know, who's, who, whose name do I scream out? Um, but yeah, so that's on my hobby side awesome that's really cool so is there a particular part of the warhammer 40,000 universe you'd like to explore in the future in imperium maledictum um do you mean like a physical location yeah, either, or either a location like or a or... race or i don't know a, a theme Ooh, I thought that's loads of things so the macarian <laughs> sector obviously i think we want to build upon really strongly because we've kind of gotten it as um a bit of a sandbox though obviously it remains part of like you know, games workshops thing, and they have stuff planned for it as well, I'm sure. And um, but I'd love to expand on that a little bit more. Mm. Um, but I mean, in terms of things I'd like to do at IM, um, an Adeptus Mechanicus faction supplement would be great. Um, I think for a role playing game because, like, they've been so tech priests show up in almost all the role playing games, and they tend to be the tech person that follows the group around to some degree and does tech stuff and you know explains what the crazy runes we're in are like, oh, these are probably Necron, this is all Nosalish, whatever, you know, this, you know, they, they're there to interpret all that and make the machines work and so on, keep the machine spirits happy. But I'd love to do a game that's just completely focused on them. So you get a faction supplement um, that lets you play games with just, maybe just set on a forge world or as part of an explorator feat and everybody is some flavor of Adeptus Mechanicus um, person, you know, maybe a, a tech priest and your sort of cadre of like a, a maniple of Skitari and, you know, one or two other uh, people taken from different areas in the faction or, you know, explore the various electropolist sort of schisms in a role-playing yeah. game would be good. I think there's loads of fodder there. Uh, and you're kind of playing that sort of Indiana Jones style, exploring, you know, Tomb Raider style stuff as well, in a sense, because yeah. you know, you're going down into places. And, um, you know, I, I think there's a sort of, there's a sort of a, Sometimes there's a, a, a thing where it's like, oh, if you go and explore a rune, a, a rune of some kind, it's always like it's Eldari or it's Necron or it's whatever, or, you know, Dark Age of Technology, maybe. That's who it can be. But like the Warhammer 40,000 universe, the galaxy is vast. Mm. There's been endless Xenos, you know, who have been and existed and passed from existence, whether they, you know, just their species was destroyed at some point or they just faded from the the galaxy, who've left beside all, all, all kinds of crazy, crazy stuff. Um <laughs> that you 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 could find as a as a party and have no idea what any of it's gonna do. You know, it's not gonna summon Necrons, it's gonna do something really horrible. You're gonna get teleported halfway across the galaxy or, you know, you're gonna end up in a, in a piece of the webway that the species had access to, or, you know, I, I just think it'd be great. You could go mess around in tunes finding all sorts of crazy stuff um and dealing with the consequences. I think yeah. it would be very fun. There's going to be the fun part in that campaign where the, the player finds out that the, the weapon that could end the entire universe has just been casually thrown into the backpack as well. Yeah, it's just been there the whole time. It's just, <laughs> yeah, some kind of star devourer or weird shard of Catan or something that they've they've picked up. Yeah, that that would be fun. That would be a lot of fun. <laughs> 
So yeah, so you said earlier that planned release date Q1 then this year. Have we got? Is that for the initial yeah. kind of the book um, starter set and the GM screen then? You, well, yeah. So the the first release will be pro- pro- quite soon, probably in the next few weeks. We should have the um, core rulebook out. Awesome. Um, so that'll be up uh, for pre-order. When you pre-order, you'll get the PDF. Um, and then, uh, depending on logistics and everything else, we we'll hopefully have that in stores in the summer. Mm. Um, then we should have the starter set. Um, I mean, probably the GM screen um, first, I would say, um, then the starter set. Uh, in, in later in Q1, it'll be the same story, pre-order where you get the PDF um, straight away. And then I think we're also doing a short free adventure um, that sort of ties into the starter set world. That will be, it'll be out when it's out and is free PDF and uh, it's there to get everybody started. Um, and we will try and get a couple more supporting items, like a few pre-generated um, patrons and so on out in some format, uh, maybe a PDF only, uh, early in Q1 as well, just to help get people uh, rolling sort of straight away. Amazing. Um, yeah, and then later in the year, we have uh, hopefully that big faction book, uh, the, the two book set should be later in the year as well. Um, and maybe one more, you know, we're, we're, we're aiming to support uh, I am pretty strongly. So we were eyeing up a, a nice bestiary and an armory as well. Awesome. That'd be really cool. Well, I look forward to it. Well, thanks again for joining us. Before we let you go, though, we've got a super important question to ask you. What's your yes. favorite sprue and what's your favorite brew? Well, so the sprue changes and it's often the last thing I build. <laughs> um, but I, I've had this for what I actually had it on hand. Which is the uh, venerable dreadnought? Amazing. It's basically my terrible zenithal highlighting. <laughs> it's my, my my secret is I'm not very good at painting, uh, but um, I I love those dreadnoughts, and I know there's newer dreadnoughts and there's bigger dreadnoughts and everything else, but it's just it's it's so great. Um, you know, I, I've I've fond memories of both like playing dreadnoughts and also having them in sort of like Dawn of War and mm. especially the co-op, and they just felt so impactful and stompy and class. That I love the old dreadnought, um, the boxy dreadnoughts. They're great. They're very iconic, uh, aren't they? They're so good. Yeah, and <laughs> I and I don't know. I couldn't tell you what it is about them exactly, but I just they just really sell the walking sarcophagus. Yeah. Sort of, you know, risen again to fight for the emperor sort of vibe that I think is class. <laughs> um, whereas a lot of the, the the newer ones are so cool. Um, but you know, nostalgia is a big factor here. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and my favorite brew. This is uh, yeah. I've, I just this is going to be the most controversial answer. So like, you know, I have kids and uh, you know things to do, and I'm I'm a busy guy, um, and I don't I find that like you know having having a couple of beers is is more sometimes an inconvenience these days. But I've grown <laughs> quite fond of Guinness Zero, non-alcoholic Guinness Zero. Guinness. I know it's terrible, but um, I, I I quite like it. So I know it's a you know massive corporation. It's not a cool indie brew, but <laughs> Like when you have to drive home, it's great. That's cool. Yeah. Thanks again for joining us, Padraig. It's been really, really good to have you on. We're really looking forward to checking out Imperium Maledictum. So I'm sure we'll be sharing some more uh, news and previews as we get closer to it. Um, for anyone who does want to check out more, are you doing a couple of shows this year? We definitely are. Um, and this is the point where you probably expect me to tell you what those ones are. Uh, and I'm not certain. Um, <laughs> I, I think we're probably going to do um, Warmer Fest and we're probably doing Gen Con and we're probably doing a bunch of other ones that I can't remember off the top of my head. 
So I would suggest people go and check out the website <laughs> um, where Fiona and Neil and Marketing will have actual information as opposed to my hearsay. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thanks again for joining us and I'm sure we'll speak to you real soon. Thank you again for having me. Absolute pleasure. Anytime. Cheers. Cheers. So it is time for our top three. And for this week's top three, Matt Astor's what models slash units or things we'd like to see in 2023 um so quite a broad one um it was quite difficult to pin down three things but um i've, I've got some i've got some good suggestions um but we're not going to start with me we're going to start with matt matt what's your top three well i thought that there's gonna be someone here that we're probably going to see on, on everyone's list so i decided to, to kind of kind of drive down a little bit into some specifics so number three obviously 40k 10th edition is probably coming this year isn't it but what i would like to see is day one updates for all of the armies i'm hoping it's a fairly big shift and that would mean some of the older codexes may not be completely compatible with the game so on the day that big launch box comes out i'd like to see a big pdf with updates to all those armies bringing them in line kind of something akin to the indexes they did for um for yeah, 8th edition um, just so that everybody can go into the game with the same experience and not have the case where the the two new codexes are amazing but the other books are waiting for their one to come out Yeah, especially so. when you look at like something like you know Astra Militarum and the upcoming World Eats codex you're going to get a couple of months out of them and then do you really have to wait an entire edition again before Astra Militarum yeah or? exactly yeah so, so I hope we just get something, and and I think they are doing it, aren't they, with six monthly updates and balanced data slates and stuff. I think yeah. we probably will get something. So that's come my kind of realistic like to see. Number two is a slightly more out there one, but rooted in logic. So we've got the new kill team uh, boxes. Every quarter, a new box comes out with a theme around the gallow dark which is a space hawk. Now you say space hawk, what's the first thing that comes into your head? You're going to say Blood Angel Terminators, aren't you? I was no, just about to say Blood Angels Terminators. <laughs> well, you're wrong. It's it's Gene Steelers. And I'm thinking a new kill team based around new multi-part Gene Steelers with different roles. This is something they've done in the rules before with the different heads representing different um, kind of biological upgrades, which they phased out in the recent Tyranny book, which is a shame. And then on that same sprue, in the same way that the Kroot have got the Kroot hounds on there, have a Lictor. Mm. As, a, as, a, as a kind of dual Lictor Gene Steelers release, because they'll probably find space on that sprue for a Lictor, because a Lictor isn't that big. Um, and that would be a really nice thematic kill team to put out for skulking around a space hawk, and also be really cool in games of boarding actions as well. Yeah. yeah. And again, hopefully that one's rooted in reality. I think we're both saying this, Jay, haven't we? A, a, term, a Primaris Terminators versus Tyranids kill team box to the, capture the essence of Space Hulk. Yeah, I think the stars seem to be aligning on that. You know, you've got the the new edition of Kill Team set on a Space Hulk. We've got the arcs of Omen. You know, big massive Space Hulks. Oh man, yeah, it'd be cool. Yeah, it'd be very very cool. And my number one choice is uh, what am I fancy related? I would love to see the old world come out this year. I just don't think the stars are in the right place for that to happen. However, what I would like to see on the anniversary of Warhammer Fantasy's 40th birthday, a, a big made to order for some classic Warhammer Fantasy kits. Oh, 
So, yeah. you know, mm. Orion, King in the Woods, original Nagash. Um, <laughs> Prince Imric on the Dragon. Yeah, Prince Imric on the Dragon, the, the classic. Well, you know, all those cool old kits that probably go for silly money on eBay. That Games Workshop probably have got the moulds kicking around somewhere for a big made-to-order to celebrate the old world. People will buy them for nostalgia, but also with the knowledge that they'll be able to use them in games of the old world. And yes, some of those kits will be replaced with awesome new kits in either plastic or from Forge World. But I think a lot of people would buy um, kind of reprints of those classic kits, wouldn't they? Oh, Joe, I would would scour the net and pick up some of those and uh, build a um, high elf army. Joe, with the old, I've got the old metal sword masters upstairs. White Lions, Prince Imric. Yeah, defo. So that's that's my hope that for the 40th anniversary we get some made to order love. Excellent, good choices, Matt. Um, Andy, what have you come up uh, come up with for uh, for models you'd like to see this year? So models I'd like to see. So my third choice is a pretty obvious one because I've been going on about it for the last couple of months, and that's World Eaters. Um, we've seen. I don't think all... they're coming this year, mate. Oh, you're not coming? Oh, no, I've not seen anything that would suggest we've got world eaters on the way. No, no. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we've seen all the kits. We've seen like the corn berserkers, the jackals, and Angron. Oh my God, Angron. Um, so yeah, see, seeing those, it's kind of just like uh, I just want them. I, you know, I've, I this year I think I'm gonna sort of cut back in terms of how many new armies and projects I start. <laughs> Um, I know famous Sorry, last yeah. words, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, famous last words. Um, but for 40k, world eaters are, are, are definitely one that I really want to jump into and really spend a decent amount of time this year building and painting and and playing around with with lists and stuff. So um, that's my third choice. Um, my second choice is um, min- we- more kill team, uh, basically. Um, the first two expansions for sort of like the, the the Into the Dark and Shadow Bolts gave us some absolutely amazing kill teams. Like the Karskin are just absolutely drop dead gorgeous. Even the Necrons, you know, they, they're bringing out a couple of new characters and kill teams. And even the turret, the heavy bolter turret that you got in Shadow Bolts and, mm. you know, the whole kit was just absolutely breathtaking. And it's kind of one of those where, I, I like those boxes because they're quite digestible. You know, there's two kill teams, there's some scenery and and a, and a book to sort of die through for the fluff, the narrative, the lore and the rules and stuff. And that sort of thing really appeals to me now. Like I, I when it comes to 40K, I enjoy playing like 1000 point games. But I think for like kill team and stuff, you get so much out of so little that I just want more and more of kill team um so that's my second choice and my first choice i ummed and awed about this for ages but it's it's more war cry um last year when they sort of released the heart of gear box set i really got into war cry i've been to a couple of events up at warhammer world and stuff for it absolutely loving it like just the initiative role with the six dice the abilities that you can use the scenarios feel very balanced you know you have to play the scenario you can't just play your opponent's army um or fighters i should say war bands um and yeah the the scenery that they've been bringing out for war cry 
you know the jade obelisks are absolutely amazing like they're so cool and yeah i just want to see more of it um so yeah i think the next expansions for blood hunt isn't it which we've, mm. we've teased and yeah i can't wait to see what's in that in that box set excellent uh yeah i'd like to see some more Warcry. i didn't make my top three but i, I have enjoyed the games i've played of it um since the new boxes um jay uh what about yourself what are you looking forward to or hope to see yeah um yes i'm hoping 2023 is going to be an awesome year for releases number one on my list having spent the last month or so painting um leagues of votan i want to see some more leagues of votan specifically i want to see some more of their tech some dreadnoughts and golems and that kind of thing hopefully you know that's what i'd love to see for the, for the range um we've got some rumor engines for the leagues of otan which I, well i think i think they are leagues of otan doesn't seem to be anything dreadnaughty on there just yet but who knows um that's my number three choice my second choice is um i want to see some more blood angels sanguinary guard um dante especially primary sized you know a new furioso dreadnought potentially um really hoping we see some expanded blood angels units this year um, and then last on my list, I sort of guess it's sort of tied in with the old sort of space up theme. I'm wondering whether this will be the year we get Battlefleet Gothic or Ooh, some Battlefleet variation of it. One. I'd What's love that? to see Gothic. I'd love to see Gothic. It's, yeah. it's, it's one of the best games that they did and I would be all over. And like you say, with the whole Arcs of Omen thing, Abaddon and um, Vashtar sent out a fleet of ships across the galaxy, so surely the Imperium would be massing an armada to try and stop that. Yeah, we can only hope. Oh, it'd be epic, epic. Uh, I think that just leaves myself uh, with with my top three. Um, so for my third choice, uh, we've had a bit of a roadmap of Age of Sigmar releases for this year. I'm um, I'm kind of hoping that one of the the death ones is the Soulblight Grave Lords. Now, if I'm being honest with myself. I actually think it's more likely going to be Fleshy Accords and Bone Reapers, but you never know. You never know with GW. So if they do release a Soul Black Grave Lords uh, new book, what I would love to see is a brand new vampire on zombie dragon. Um, or maybe not even just a zombie one, maybe an actual proper dragon. Who knows? Um, the, the current kit is is really nice, um, but I think it, you know, it is starting to show its age a little bit. Um, it'd be cool to get updated and of course we i think it was yourself matt when you reviewed i think you reviewed the book and um, was pointing out the new one that on the front cover of the the battle tome yeah so so i mean the the, the current zombie dragon suffers from the fact that it's a terrorgeist dual build and it's really just a terrorgeist isn't it mm. it's built in a different way where on the cover of the grave lord's book there's what looks like an undead version of the dark elf dragon which I think would just fit them, but it's sleeker, it's a bit more vicious looking. I think that look really cool. Yeah. So that's that's my third choice. Uh, my second choice is um, I'm looking to start a Dark Angels army soon. It, we obviously we've seen all this rumors and stuff about potentially the lion coming back, and uh, I'm kind of hoping it's true. Um, so I want to build a little bit of a, a Dark Angels force, maybe start with board and action and. Uh, and getting bigger and um, what i would really like to see is obviously we've got like our upgrade kits for um our different chapters but what i'd like to see from gw is some more unique primaris units for those chapters so um you know some new kits which are, are definitely dark angels you could say the same argument with blood angels jay to to have more like sanguinary guard for example primaris sized 
yeah. um, would be really cool. The Dark Angels to get similar treatment. Um, so that that I would really like to see. It's still not going to stop me from building a few units of intercessors and things, but it'd be nice to get some specific Dark Angels Primaris units, um, or at least proper upgrade kits that make them look like Dark Angels. Um, my top choice. Um, this isn't going to be any surprise to any of you guys, um, and I, it's 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 almost here. I can. We had a teaser in um, uh, what was it? Was it latest uh, kill team? No, it wasn't. It was boarding action. Sorry, where you can build an inquisitorial boarding action. <laughs> um, I would like to see a unique box. Call it a kill team. Reset or the clock. Boarding actions or whatever, <laughs> but I want to see a proper inquisitorial kill team with acolytes with you know inquisitorial markings on them in kind of like um stormtrooper-ish kind of armor but they look distinct enough to be inquisitorial henchmen with all their little like um sort of attaches like the jacara weaponsmith in in plastic stuff like that um yeah it that's got to be happening this year it's got to it just has to and also actually adding on to that going back way back to the new segment um, Matt, you were talking about obviously the primary psychic coming from the from the uh, Blackstone Fortress. Uh, I think at that point we'll also see the release of the Rogue Traders separately um, around that same time. So fingers crossed, my dreams will become a reality this year. Excellent stuff. So that is our top freeze, and we do have one final segment left for this week's podcast. It is of course the community top three choices. So we'll take our one final pause and come back with those. Our thanks, as always, for sending in your top three choices. Um, it is that part of the podcast where we feed them out. So over on Facebook, Stephen Roberts has gone for infantry and vehicles, etc. for Titanicus. Now, it has gone quite quiet on the Adeptus Titanicus front. So it would be good to see uh, maybe a new edition this year, guys. Yeah, I'd like to see Xenos for Titanicus. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, his second choice, I uh, totally agree with this, the Lion for the Dark Angels. Um, and he's also um, he's gone for his top choice, the uh, breaches for 30k. Uh, Daniel Higgins, his third choice is a Primaris flyer slash multi-part outriders. Um, yeah, I think actually I was only talking to you the other day, Jay, about um, multi-part outriders for Ravenwing for Dark Angels. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's also gone for Titanicus for his second choice. He's just simply put more Titanicus stuff, please. And his top choice is Horus Heresy kits. Um, for the Admech and the Solar Auxilia. Yes, please. <laughs> uh, David Anderson, his third choice is Horus Heresy Plastic Kits, Breacher Squads and Despoiler Squads, please. Despoilers, are those the ones with the pew-pew, the two pistols? Despoilers, yeah, I think so, yeah. yeah. Without yeah, jump are. packs. They're like assault marines, but without jump packs. Oh, no, no, Despoilers. Despoilers are the two and the pistols, yeah, yeah, they are. Yeah. Second choice, unlikely but new beasts of chaos. In brackets, a single plastic resculpt is not a proper release. Uh, unfortunately, that is looking quite unlikely. But maybe later on in the year, we might see some at Warcry or something. And his top choice, um, he's really gone for it with this one, plastic 40k titans. Not sure I'd buy one, but just to know it exists would be awesome. Cool. I know I know one guy on this podcast who'd buy one. And his I'd name buy two of them. I'd buy is two Matthew. Of them. <laughs> <laughs> what do we have over on twitter matt 
So over on Twitter, Ollie Grimwood says Iron Jaws Wave 2. I mean, it's about time. All the elves have had at least two waves. Uh, <laughs> plastic Carnadon Tanks slash Auroch APC and Colts Militia Rules for Horus Heresy. Yeah, I'd read about that too. Uh, Pete Allison, Horus Heresy stuff for me. Uh, Assault Marines, Thud Guns and Mark II Armoured Marines. An honourable mention to a plastic Warhound Titan. Jem uh, Deducci says... More Votan kits, a flyer or another carriage for the Land Fortress. Updated Skaven kits. The Gisales are resin models based on metal models, and they're really old now. And a Loyalist Primark for 40k. They're a little bit outnumbered, but secretly he wants the Emperor for Horus Heresy. Uh, Pete Planky Jabroni says, Despoiler squads for Heresy, Chaos Dwarfs for Blood Bowl, and the Emperor's Children for 40k. At the end of the year, completing the four made Legion Codexes. That'd be very cool. Uh, Darren Winter, crazy wish listing. Plastic Storm Eagle. I don't think it's that crazy. I, we will come at some point. Plastic Sabre and Plastic Solar Auxilia. I think we'll see all of those. Maybe not this year, but I think we'll definitely see all of them. Sensible, realistic choices. Plastic Striking Scorpions. Plastic Swooping Hawks. Or Plastic Assault Troops. Average Paints. Heresy Marines with Chainswords. Bonus points if they also have Jump Packs. Primaris Dark Angels, Raven Wings, Death Wing, a bit like they did with the Black Templars. That's a good shout. Um, especially if you do get Primaris Terminators, Death Wings are a very good shout. And mm. the Lion. I'd also love for boarding actions to continue to be supported and not dropped with 10th edition. I would second that. I'd love that to exist as an offshoot. Uh, Anonymous Rex has an Ikit model, uh, Ikit Claw. Uh, Lizardmen need a Slaves to Darkness style refresh for their core sculpts. I think from the little tease, we may be getting that. And a proper Caradron Sky Fortress. Jack Young says, I have these sat on my desk and I'd accept them in plastic. One, a decent pirate ship model that isn't huge or a wreckage. Two, winged squigs. Does this need any reason? <laughs> uh, and three, regular goblins. A full Grom-style army would be amazing again. Again, I wonder if we'll get that with the old world. Uh, Nevermore, new Kemri Blood Bowl team. New Saurus range. A new Bulgors. D Porter says a vampire blood bowl team. Metal uh, versus beast expansion for dungeon. Jun, blah, 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 blah. Metal versus beast expansion for dungeon bowl, and extra sprues for chaos space marine courtists for pumped up creations of bile. That's very cool. Claude Savagely says plastic assault marines for my Horus Heresy blood angels. Something new for the talents of the emperor. Ideally custodies, but happy if the sister of silence get them and plastic solar auxilia. Mark Dewhurst says Eldar exodites, chaos dwarfs. And the Demons of the Runestorm PDF that was stated to be coming in a few weeks when Horus Heresy 2 was released. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I know how that feels. I've been waiting for that. Uh, and uh, Pilliac UK says the Umbraneth, Malarian's Elves, the Emperor's Children, likely not late next edition though, and more grots of any variety. So yeah, some awesome truths are there. Yeah, and I think, like you say, Matt, quite a few of those we, we may potentially see this year, or at least at yeah. some point in the near future. So, um, yeah, absolutely. It's going to be an exciting year. Um, that does, sadly, however, almost bring us into the podcast. I almost forgot to ask, what is our next top three? So next time on the podcast, with Andy dabbling with Marvel Crisis Protocol, I want to know your top three non-GW games. So that could be board games, miniature games, card games, anything. So. Anything non-GW related? 
Excellent. You can get your choice in early via our social media. We will be putting a post out on Facebook and Twitter um, closer to the next podcast recording. Um, so you can just pop a reply on that uh, and let us know. And then we'll try and read out as many as we can on the next show. Uh, guys, it's been an absolutely epic episode. It has. It's been fun. I'm, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to A, trying out the new tooth in coats paint and B, having a play with Imperium Maledictum as well absolutely can't wait um thanks to everybody for listening and for supporting us we'll be back with another podcast very soon until then keep an eye on our website and socials for other exciting content until next time we'll speak to you all again very soon bye 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 thanks for listening to the spruce and bruise podcast for more content remember to check out spruceandbruise.com and if you'd like to get in touch with us send us a tweet at Spruce and Brews or head over to facebook.com forward slash Spruce and Brews.